The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Scorpio Sky, and you are listening to the Keeping It Strong Style Podcast, and it is the best. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review Wrestle Kingdom 16 Night 3 and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Wrestling Tea store, WrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only Browser extension for NJPWWorld.com, which features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Um, doing pretty good. Nice. How you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, doing pretty good, man. You know, a little tired. Just got back from the gym not too long ago. You know, trying to get back into it for the new year. Oh yeah, I uh, I was at the gym today too. You know, I think I had COVID the other week. Did I even mention that on the show? Uh, I don't think you did. Yeah, I mean, I've been kind of like fighting sickness on and off last few weeks, and uh, you know, um, my. I'm still staying consistent going to the gym, but it's just been a little, a little more like sporadic, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know for sure if I had COVID or not. Um, I mean, this is basically what happened. Uh, we did FOH draft. Then I was super hungover and I'm pretty sure like doing all that drinking and non-sleeping like eradicated my uh, immune system because within like a couple days I got super sick, but uh might have been COVID, but it probably wasn't. Um, you know, that was just before the holidays. So I started, like, testing because we had some antigen tests here. And uh, I had heavy symptoms, you know, runny nose, all sorts of stuff. And uh, during, a, like, a three- or four-day period, I tested twice. Both times came back negative. And um, based on, like, what I've read online, they said those antigen tests, even though they're not, like, 
as powerful as like say PCR, if you are showing heavy symptoms, um, then your viral load should be high enough for those types of tests to detect about 98% of the time. So I was pretty confident I didn't have COVID. I got better and then went out for the holidays, you know, went to like holiday parties, family stuff. And I was in two situations where it turned out after the fact that there were people that were around that had COVID. <laughs> so, uh, and then like within a few days, I got super sick and uh, totally different symptoms than I had the first time, you know? Um, and then I tried to like test, but literally I couldn't find any tests anywhere like to, to just buy at home. Like um, they were all sold out within a 20 mile radius since like, Christmas day, you know, I don't know if people know, but like the, the COVID numbers are crazy out here. And then I tried to like schedule a test and, uh, it was like a week and a half out everywhere. So I was like, dude, this does not help me by the time I'm going to like test, uh, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can't prove I had COVID, but I mean, I was in close proximity, all of the, uh, you know, all the, uh, different like, uh, symptoms I had kind of line up the timing lines up and then the weirdest thing was once I got better and I went back to work out, um, I did a light workout and it, I was like killed. And I mean, I've gone back to the gym after like layoffs and stuff like that. I understand it's always like hard the first day, but I mean, like my cardio was gone. Like I could barely breathe. I was like almost throwing. Like It was like way, way. And I felt like wrecked for that whole day. And I was like, oh, this is something different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh it's been it's been kind of on and off like i mean i don't have symptoms or anything like that but uh you know i just been uh you know trying to uh get back in the swing of things essentially yeah man definitely sounds like you you might have had it but i'm glad you're feeling better glad we're here doing the show getting ready to talk about uh night three of wrestle i mean i sucked it up for you people and i've been doing the show every week (laughs) (laughs) you uh, people yeah for you people someone uh throw us a donation gifts (laughs) gifts (laughs) Uh, something else you can throw us is a rating. So if you are a Spotify listener, Spotify has recently released a ratings for their podcast. So if you listen to Keeping It Strong Style on Spotify via the Keeping It Strong Style feed or the Social Suplex Podcast Network feed, go ahead, drop your Meltzer five stars on both of those feeds and uh, help us climb the ratings on Spotify. Yeah, absolutely. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. We uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, you know, it's funny. Like sometimes when I'm like when I'm off the show, I think about the things I want to banter with, and then I never end up even remembering to. And then later, I'm like, oh yeah, I was gonna like talk about X, Y, Z, and I it just never happens. <laughs> do you do that? Do you have weird stuff like that at the show? Sometimes to be like, yeah, I want to like mention something, and I, I don't like, write it down and put it in the rundown, and then yeah, I'll just completely forget, and I'll be like, dang it, I totally forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah, but you're talking about more like professional stuff, like you know, like news and and questions. I'm talking about like you know non sequiturs about like my dog you know, <laughs> and haircuts and shit like that. You're talking about gimmicks. <laughs> yeah, gimmicks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, one gimmick we have is the uh, wrestler of the month and match of the month. We forgot to do. We still a- do those. <laughs> yeah, we it's still crazy. do. Uh, we forgot to announce uh, December's winners last week because we, of course, we had a big uh, Wrestle Kingdom 
review show, and that's what our minds are all focused on. So uh, let's do it real quick here. So December Wrestler of the Month. Josh, let the people know who we picked for our December Wrestler of the Month. That wasn't our Wrestler of the Month. It wasn't? No, our Wrestler of the Month was, wasn't it Desperado? Uh, I, I went back through the thread, and it, it was not, you didn't say Desperado. Did I say Desperado, or did I say Hiromu? You said Hiromu. Oh, uh, yeah. Why would I say Desperado? Hiromu won the fucking tournament. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about this, guys. We're going to get on the same page. Yeah, so <laughs> without further ado, your uh, December 2021 Wrestler of the Month, Hiromu Takahashi, um, you know, we had to award him essentially because this man had a phenomenal uh, Super Juniors tournament. You know, he carried Yo to the match of his life. Uh, in that, you know, fantastic Super Junior final. And uh, all throughout the entire month, he was the guy that was having the most great matches with the most people the entire month. So, uh, you know, congratulations, Hiromu Takahashi. You know, uh, unfortunately, that success did not carry you into the Tokyo Dome. But, uh, you know, on this show, where it matters, you were a winner back in December. (laughs) Uh, Then our December match of the month will be the best of the Super Junior Finals between Hiromu and Yo. Uh, Even despite the show interference, this was the top uh, matchup from the tournament. Uh, Top matchup just across promotion in Japan, strong across the board for December. Uh, Hiromu went out there, like you mentioned, put his working boots on, had a really great matchup there. Uh, with Yo, probably could have been even better if they had uh, not put the show interference in there. But uh, good stuff here. So our December 2021 match of the month, Hiromu versus Yo. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to go ahead. And you know what, guys? You would think to yourself, there hasn't been much going on. You know, there was a couple, you know, little produce shows. <laughs> yes, Wrestle Kingdom Night 3 was a produce show. <laughs> but there's not a lot for us to uh, talk about, but... Uh, you know, we 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 put in the work. You know, like Cody Rhodes, we do the work and uh, <laughs> outwork everyone. Christian, Cage. yeah, we're here to outwork everyone, like Christian Cage. And uh, we've got a you know a pretty loaded uh, rundown. Uh, let's start off with our coverage of Wrestle Kingdom Night Three. And yes, we paid to watch this show. <laughs> we did, yes. And uh, you're welcome, Omari. Yeah, uh, we got a question here. Well, you know. It goes to Japanese Red Cross, so maybe, right. hopefully that's a good cause. Yeah. Um, Rambo Slam Pig asked us a question to start things off and kick off the Wrestle Kingdom Night 3 coverage. He said, no question this week other than, is the NJPW versus Noah show worth watching when it arrives on World, or is it mostly skippable? If the latter, are there any highlight matches to check out rather than the whole show? Yeah, great question there because I know a lot of people are kind of wondering, you know, should I check, check it out or not? And if you are Skip. a... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. No, I'll say if you're definitely a fan of both promotions, I definitely think it, it's a, a must-watch. And even though they're all mainly tag matches, I think there's still a lot of cool matchups there. I mean, if you are pressed for time and you're kind of limited, I mean... The, the highlight matches of what we're going to run through the card here and give our thoughts on these matches. I mean, probably the the semi-main event with Congo versus LIJ, and then the, the main event 
with uh, Mega, or uh, the yeah, the Mega Aces against Kiyomiya and Muto would probably be the two matches you definitely want to check out. Yeah, I think our review is going to answer a lot of these questions and kind of give you a more holistic uh, idea of our opinions on the show overall, and then you know maybe help you to kind of um, decide what you think you'd like to watch. Um, you know. I wouldn't say that this show is just simply skippable, but it kind of depends on what criteria you're judging that on. If you're talking about just simply blow away great matches, then no, um, the show's probably skippable. If you're talking about like really hot feuds, really hot angles, no, the show's probably skippable. Um, but if you're talking about a show that was entertaining and that had potentially uh, implications for other things that might pan out down the road. Um, or like Jeremy said, if you're a fan of both promotions or you're just uh, intrigued by the dream match nature of a few of these matches, this is worth checking out. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was you know, worthy of the name Wrestle Kingdom, but if you watch it thinking to yourself, this is not a Wrestle Kingdom, it's not held in the Tokyo Dome, and you kind of think of it as like a weird one-off, like produce show. It's it's a pretty fun show. Yeah, like nothing on here builds to really any of the storylines, except except maybe the in the Suzuki match. Um, besides that, nothing else really leads to what's going to happen coming up on the New Year's Golden Series or anything really happening in New Japan. And as we review, like you mentioned, we'll talk about some potential angles that they could have set up for future shows that they are going to do future shows. But I think first we've got yeah. to talk about just our overall technical experience with the show. So shout out to our friend of the show, uh, Zach Porter, you know, Josh and I went over there to watch the show um, and he had everything already set up uh, through Abima. Uh, Zach is familiar, you know, Abima and watching Noah's shows and stuff like that on there before. So we got it all set up and, you know, before we watched the show, you know, we saw like a lot of messages the previous day saying, you know, there's only a certain amount of time left to order the English feed. If not, then you're going to be forced to order the Japanese feed. And, you know, we didn't order it right based on that ahead of time. Like people were saying so. You know, we ordered it day of. Went over to, to Zach's, thinking, you know, you know, we're used to watching Japanese commentary. You know, fine. And it'll, it'll probably even be better just because you know the English was you know remote. And when they're remote, right. the remote, they have to bump their volume up, which makes the you know the atmosphere in the crowd. The claps of the crowd quieter. So, you know, we. There were other things too. Um, not just the sound issue, but like we, I had already heard reports that like, oh, there was like feed cutouts and other technical issues. So I was like, okay, great. We're going to get the Japanese feed. It's going to sound better. It's going to look better. This, this works out, you know? So I, I didn't feel as bad paying for it. And then we paid for it. And we got the Japanese or we got the English commentary feed with Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton. Right. I mean, obviously love those guys, but, you know, we saw the messages the day before talking about there's only a certain amount of time and then we're expecting Japanese feed with the less technical issues. So we got the English feed. Um, like you mentioned, you know, first thing, you know, the first match on the main card, like half of it gets cut out, uh, you know, lights out pretty much. It's a blacked out screen. You, you still hear the commentary, but that's pretty much it. And then it cuts in like towards the, the latter half of the match. Well, I don't know how long actually passed, and that's the that's the frustrating thing. Maybe it was a few minutes. Maybe it was half the match. I don't. I really don't know. 
Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen again later in the show. It was just the one time. But I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I've been I've been watching like New Japan on New Japan World for <laughs> since I don't know since what since 2015, 2016, whenever it launched, and mm-hmm. um, I've never had a show cut out like the feed for any match. At, uh, only only that one time when like show's pants came undone and, uh, and they, <laughs> they didn't air it because like his wang was like showing yeah uh, other than that like that's the only thing i can think of where they they haven't played something yeah so yeah we got got the english we got that all that all messed up and uh, the, the other thing too is like i didn't want the english commentary because like you know we do like we love chris charlton and kevin kelly great guys but like they're not as familiar with the Noah side, um, you know. So just from that perspective, that's already a big drawback. Plus, it was remote, like you mentioned. I actually was sort of hoping if we did get English to get the uh, the Noah English commentary team because I've heard good things about the way that they call it, and um, more so like just like a shoot, they call it sort of sports oriented, like MMA style fight. And I was like, that might be interesting for this event. And, you know, we didn't get that either. I think what the deal was, everything was region locked through a beam. So if we'd maybe used like a VPN, we probably could have got the Japanese, but we still ended up with the English. But, you know, I saw like a lot of tweets from P- and private messages to us too, from uh, people that were really frustrated trying to follow the Venn diagrams <laughs> and all the charts that were put out there about how to, get the English commentary, uh, you know, ordered. And we still ended up, and we ended up with it without doing anything. We literally, and you know what? Zach even has order from Abima. And he said that ordering this show just in general was super confusing and very, very, very difficult. So, I mean, you know, you already take into account some of the things we've talked about the past few weeks with like, you know, kind of the letdown and disappointment of the match cards themselves. And then the fact that you have to pay for it on a beam of pay-per-view. And then there's this huge barrier of entry about like, how do I, you know, it's not like you can just go on the website, click a button and you got it, you know, right. it was way more complicated than that. And that's it. I mean, if you're trying to get, uh, maybe the show wasn't so much for an English audience, but like, if you are trying to get people like us to order it, they did not make it easy. <laughs> yeah. And then probably the most frustrating thing about the experience is all the music was muted due to copyright, you know, international copyright. So oh, literally yeah. from the pre-show to the main event, we had no entrance music when they came out, no music when they won. We, no, um, you know, we didn't get to hear the announcers, um, the, announcing the guys that they came to the ring because the music was playing. I literally, right. we literally had to pull our phones out and pull up YouTube and play wrestlers entrance themes as they were walking out. Yeah, and I mean, if you were someone that was just listening to, like, Chris and Kevin, I mean, it, they basically just sounded like a couple guys doing a podcast, which is fine. But when you're talking about the energy and the ambiance of a Wrestle Kingdom-esque dream show between two rival companies, you know, I don't want to hear two guys in a you know, empty void just kind of just speaking, bouncing off of each other. You know what I mean? Like, I want that, those entrances and and everything like that. That was I forgot about that. That was the other reason I was re- I was relieved when I heard we were getting the Japanese uh, pay per view, and then we still somehow we ordered it directly from Abima, like way after the show was over. We still ended up with English, so I don't know. 
Yeah, and it was still even it was mentioned it was way after we still got like they didn't fix it. It was still a, a messed up. I guess maybe they couldn't fix it, but yeah, it was still messed up. Yeah, I saw uh, someone tweet. I don't remember who it was, but they're like apologize to NJPW World <laughs> for not appreciating them for all these years. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but uh, so let's jump into the show. Um, and you know, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a super in depth. Uh, deal i think i'm just gonna kind of give a few of my passing thoughts on each match and yeah we're not we're not gonna go impressions like, yeah we're not gonna go like blow by blow hole for hole and all, all these matches here but let's start with the, the pre-show we had two pre-show matches first match we had uh new japan young lion kosei vegeta taking on noah young lion yatsuka yano and they went to a 10 minute time limit draw yeah um and it was good that we had zach porter with us because he follows Noah so he could kind of fill us in on a few of the things that you know maybe we're not as familiar with and I think we probably helped do the same thing for him on the New Japan side so if if nothing else this show brought good friends together once again (laughs) (laughs) but um this one was intriguing just because you know Fujita's only started wrestling this year and Yano's been wrestling and (laughs) I made jokes about like you know this not being the Yano I was used to, but uh, yes, Yasutaka Yano has been wrestling for quite a bit longer, even though he's still considered like a rookie and a young lion, you know, on the, uh, or whatever they call them on the Noah side, but he's even beaten a senior wrestler at this point. So, I mean, he's got wins under his belt and has kind of progressed. Whereas, you know, Fujita's never even won a match. He's, you know, and he only has been wrestling like what, four or five, maybe six months. So yeah. it's really interesting to be like, well, New, New Japan's, you know, kind of got the leverage, but they're probably not going to let their guy lose his first ever match to, you know, another Noah-like upstart. But Yano's kind of the more, like, seasoned guy. So, like, what do they do here? And, alas, they do exactly what they've been doing with Fujita for <laughs> ever since he got on the scene. They go to a 10-minute draw. But the match was, you know, it was good. Yeah, very good. It's just pretty much like you're, you know, like a basic young lion match where you're getting a lot of great grappling, a lot of good striking, good drop kicks. Um, you know, ended the same way. We had Fujita. He had Yano in the Boston Crab at like the last uh, few seconds there, and Yano got to the ropes right as the time limit expired. So very similar structure to young lion matches we saw in New Japan and. Vegeta looked really good and his first time seeing uh, this Yano in action and I thought he looked pretty good as well. I thought he looked good too. I liked his uh, Junakiyama cosplays. That was cool too. But um, (laughs) one thing I thought just was kind of interesting, you know, you think about the politics of a show like this and to see Fujita have him in a single leg crab like that and really be wrenching back on it and have him in serious trouble going to the close of the match it really obviously like the impression is like if there was more time Fujita had him in such a compromised position, he probably was about to lose. And I'm like, dang, like for Fujita, not only like does going to a draw because of his, you know, inexperience, that's almost like a win for him. And for Yano, a guy who's been wrestling quite a bit longer, going to a draw is like a loss for him. And they mentioned that on commentary, but like the visual that he's the one standing tall and in the, uh, you know, more opportune position at the close of the match like 
I, I was like, dang, I can't believe like Noah let their boy go out like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Kevin Kelly on commentary. He's like, oh, I'm counting that as a win for New Japan. <laughs> it, it felt like it was. Not that it mattered by the end of the show. But yeah, so this was the first. In, if we were keeping count, you know, we're 0-0-1 zero, zero, at this point. Yeah. So then the uh, second pre-show match, we had a six-man tag team match up here. We had Tenkoji. Tenzon Satoshi Kojima teaming up with Blue Justice Yuji Nagata, and they defeated the Funky Express team of Akatoshi Saito, King Tani, and Muhammad Yone. Yeah, this one was um, a little interesting because, like, I'm familiar with some of these names on the Funky Express. These guys, uh, you know, all three of those guys have been like longtime Puro and Noah, um, you know, uh, just per uh, like competitors. So. They're kind of familiar names, even though I don't know all their work that well. And then, you know, judging on the uh, VTR or like the um, the match like picture, these guys have some sort of like comedy, you know. And uh, I guess maybe you've had one, had that for a little bit, but they're all much older guys, so they're kind of like, you know, the dads of Noah apparently at this point. Like all kind of like very seasoned veterans. They're doing like a light-hearted comedy gimmick you know, in the later years of their wrestling careers. And it makes sense why they were going up against the third generation dads. But this was not a comedy match by any means. Um, these guys went out there and like, this was one of the few matches where I felt like they were wrestling for the pride of New Japan and Noah. <laughs> Yeah, those guys, they were going out there. They were hitting hard, and, like, you just you just felt it. Like, those guys were, like, yeah, I can mention that they're fighting for the pride of their company. You know, we kind of yeah. joke, joke about Survivor Series and the, and the brand supremacy. Well, it kind of felt like that here. Like, these guys, they're repping their brand, and they, they're going in hard right. and working really hard. Yeah, Funky Express were not with the antics. They weren't with the bullshit. Like, they were throwing hard-ass strikes and running the ropes hard and wrestling fucking hard. And you know what? So was the dads. Especially Nagata. Like, Nagata was throwing forearms with bad intentions. And he hardly ever, you know, I know he has a, a reputation as being like a, a brawler. And obviously, he can get down when he needs to. But most of the time, he's pretty, you know, it's pretty soft hand if you really think about it. He's a little snug. But it, it, he's not, like, murdering guys like the way Ishii and, uh, you know, like Suzuki do every night. But in this match, he was laying those fucking forearms in. And uh, Kojima was hitting hard. Tenzan was, like, doing, you know, doing as much as he can at this point. And I was like, holy fuck. And, like, guys were coming off the top ropes. I'm like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. And you know what's funny, too? Um, I listened to, like, Meltzer's review on this. He was pretty down on it. You know, the match scores are pretty down. I'm not saying the match was great by any means. But considering who was in it, I was really impressed. And it, I thought it was a fun little 12-minute um you know, preview match, and I thought all the guys in here, like, probably had more, like, fire than the majority of the wrestlers on the show. Like, they really were fucking working hard. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. It's a 12-minute pre-show matchup. It's not on the main card. Like, these guys didn't have to go out here and work as hard as they did. They could have mailed it in. Funky Express, right. they could have been more goofy with their, their their gimmick, and then, you know, the New Japan Dads, they could have just, you know, play the greatest hits and kind of laid it, you know, just... Right. Mail it in, but they went out there. They worked really hard, had some great sequences, hard hits. Uh, it was a fun matchup here. Uh, Kojima gets the win for the team with the, the strongest arm, that lariat, onto Saito, and uh, New Japan got their first win of the night. Yep, so they're on the board. That takes us to the start of 
Wrestle Kingdom Night 3 proper. And this is the match that we mentioned was cut out. So we didn't see all of it. But uh, the match was between the team of Chaos, Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. They teamed up with Hontai's Master Wato and Ryuzuki Taguchi. And they defeated the NOAA main unit team of Daiki Inaba, Daisuke Harada, Hajime Ohara, Kenya Okada, and Yoshiki Inamura. 11 minutes, 42 seconds, and uh, there's a good portion of this match we did not see. Yeah, but when the stream did cut back in, we saw Inamura and Ishii just going to war. They were in the yeah. rain together, just slugging away. First time seeing this Inamura guy. Huge dude on uh, a black singlet, and he's laying in chops in Ishii. Ishii's laying in chops to him. Um, you know, Ishii's like getting him up for the suplex, and these guys are trading moves back and forth. And that was definitely the, the most intriguing uh, interaction of this match. Was the the interactions between these guys? Yeah, um, that's one one reoccurring theme you're going to hear during this brief review is that while there weren't blow away matches there were moments and stories that kind of intersected and there was quite a few impressions that some of these performers left on us so it, you know you're not going to watch this show necessarily looking for great classics but there are some guys you're going to want to check out that i was like more than impressed with and inamora was one of them um i haven't seen the january 1st noah show but uh i've seen the main event but the six-man tag that uh Kenta was involved in. He was on the other side from Inamura. And the reports that I read were, were, were that uh, he either dislocated or broke his fingers because of the actions of Inamura in that match. And, you know, part of that has to do with, uh, you know, Kenta kind of being like this older senpai, you know, legacy guy and Noah having that badass, like, sort of uh, reputation. And Inamura wasn't taking his shit. And, like, you know, basically shoved his shit in and was like beating the fuck out of him. If you guys haven't seen Inamora, just imagine like he's a big, big hoss in a fucking singlet. Like he's Taz and he just clobbers guys. Very, very, very impressed. Uh, all the interactions with him and Ishii, like you mentioned, were phenomenal. Like, you know, it, it, it was like they baptized Ishii in the waters of Inamora to wash away the sins of evil. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and we'll, it was, we'll throw you it was a bone beautiful. here, <laughs> huh? No, like we'll throw you a bone here. We, we gave you evil, <laughs> you know, on night one. Here you go. Here's a, a little interaction for you. <laughs> but everybody else in the match worked hard. You know, the, the Noah guys. My understanding is that these are pretty much unaffiliated main unit type guys. I've heard a lot of good things about Kenya Okada. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, Daisuke Harada. I think he just won the junior championship. Um, like yesterday, so that's also interesting. Um, also thought Yoshihashi looked good. I thought Goto, you know, looked pretty good. Wato was doing some dives to the outside, high flying. This was a fun opener, the, but like we mentioned, the real highlight was Ishii and Inamura. And I think Inamura is, uh, he's got star written all over him, you know, for real. Yeah, so in post-match, uh, well, Yoshiashi got the win, Boston Crab over Okada, and then post-match, Ishii and Inamura were continuing to brawl, going at having a pull-apart brawl, and that's one of the, the, the moments in this show where it's like, are they setting up for more stuff down the line? Are, are we going to see Ishii go to Noah to face Inamura? Are we going to see Inamura come into New Japan, come into G1, and continue this potential program that they set up here? And, you know, we don't know yet. 
could it be that there's something that's on the horizon with uh, the surprises that are planned in New Japan this year? Sure. Or could it be something where like seven years down, or maybe that's too long, but like five years down the line, they wind up wrestling again and people like point back to this moment? It is possible. So uh, the one drawback, we do not have all the backstage comments available to us just yet to really see how they might be building potential storylines. I've seen a couple of them online. Um, I don't know where those are coming from. I've scoured YouTube. I've scoured the rest of the internet. So I'm hoping that when this becomes available on World, some of those uh, backstage comments will become uh, available to us as well. But as of right now, you know, I would love to see what Ishii and uh, Inamore were saying about one another post-match, but we just don't have that yet. Right. So then uh, moving on to the next match, we had our, our one singles match on the main card. The House of Tortures show defeated Atsushi Kotoge, representing Noah, 8 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, um, apparently part of the backstory here was that when Sho and Yo were on their excursion and in the past they had uh, done a little bit of crossover work in Noah, and um, or maybe maybe this was pre-excursion. It might have been when they were just lions. I don't know. But uh, he's wrestled Atsuchi uh, Kotoge in the past, and so they kind of have a bit of history there. Um, I don't really remember much about this except Sho cheated. Um, I wasn't really – obviously, this was the first what I would consider big, big miss of the pay-per-view. No surprise because it's House of Torture bullshit. But, uh, you know, 8 minutes, 20 seconds is probably the one good thing I could say about this. Yeah, it's kind of a disappointment. You know, it's the one main singles match on the main card. And, yes, it is show, but – you know, for this one show, I mean, they could have, they could have dropped the gimmick a little bit and let the show go out there and just kind of kill it and be a little bit of the old show. But you know, I guess you know, they're they're really you know pushing this you know House of Torture and the the new show character. So we got a lot of you know the ref distractions and and cheating and towards the end uh, show you know he pulls the referee in Katoge's path and then he uh, gets a gets the wrench out and ends up hitting the the wrench over Katoge's head and uh, pins him. Bringing New Japan to three zero and one. Yep. So they're very dominant at this point. Uh, the next match of the evening, we saw the Bullet Club team of Ghetto and Taiji Ishimori. They were defeated by the Noah team of Stinger, Hayata, the reigning at the time GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion, and Seiki Yoshiya- uh, Yoshioka. And uh, this match was short, five minutes, 59 seconds. Um, You know, you had Ghetto out there kind of bringing down the average of the match. But the one guy that really stuck out to me was Seiki Yoshiaka. Yeah, he looked really good. Like, he was running the ropes so fast. Like, he, you know, people say Ishimori is one of the fastest guys, and Ishimori is really fast. But to me, uh, Yoshiaka was like, blowing Ishimori out the water with how fast he was running the ropes and how fast he was moving in the ring. Yeah, and um, I've said this on the podcast before, but in the past, uh, you know, in my opinion, the current fastest, like, junior-style wrestlers that are out there are Leo Rush, Taiji Ishimori, and probably Darby Allin. And uh, this Seiki Yoshioka, 
man, he could move. I mean, if, if you're someone who like, if you're like me and guys running hard and hitting the ropes hard <laughs> gets over with you and you don't know why, but it just does. This guy is fucking for you. And not only that, but like, he's not little, like all those guys I mentioned. He, I mean, he's definitely like his frame is a junior frame, but he was taller and way more muscular, like kind of like a built guy. And, uh, he could fly. He was doing some really crazy athletic stuff. Even, you know, the match was just under six minutes and he didn't have a lot of time to really showcase what he could do. But, you know, I believe Zach Porter and he was telling me that like, he's probably like one of the tip top like juniors in the whole company. So I was really confused why this other guy, this slob guy next to him, <laughs> Hayata. <laughs> no, I've heard good things about Hayata, but like, um, apparently he's been with the company a while. This is like his third GHC junior title run. And he's in the middle of like, or was in the middle of a very lengthy title defense reign. And, um, he just didn't look to me like, you know, junior champion of like the number two or number three, uh, pro company. You know what I mean? Like, right. He, he, didn't, he didn't stand out at all. And I get it. It was a short match and, but yeah, he didn't like work hard. Like there was nothing about him that grabbed my attention. It was like, man, I, I need to watch more of Hayata. I need to watch Noah because of him. Uh, I don't even mean that. I just mean like he looked shindy. Yeah. This is his look in general too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like he, he was wearing those like, uh, pleather pants that everybody wore in the two thousands, but like yeah, those one t- of the, the legs- pants. Yeah, but, like, Tajiri's pants are fucking awesome. These ones were, like, you know, one leg was all the way down, then one leg was, like, halfway cut up, kind of like the Zack Ryder thing. And, you know, he just – if he was on, like, a 2003 IWA Mid-South show or, like, a CZW show from that era, he would fit in perfectly. Like, he just (laughs) looked like a guy. Like, no build, no muscles, nothing special. You know, I don't know. I I don't mean to bury the guy, but I was just, like, not – I was, like, why has he got the belt and this guy doesn't have the belt? This makes no sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, one other small uh, story element with uh, Hayata and his title reign. So, like you mentioned, he was in – He's I think he was on, like, his eighth defense, and he was on the the way to surpassing Ishimori's uh, GHC Jr. reign. But with him losing the title, he did not uh, surpass Ishimori's reign. But – during this matchup, that was kind of one of the storylines. Like, Ishimori was a little upset that he could potentially beat his record. Right. But, you know, for all the shit talk that we're doing about the Noah guys, the, the, the one person that really drew the match down was Ghetto. And that's to nobody's surprise if you've watched Ghetto before. So, I mean, just keeping track with us, you got show in the match before, House of Torture Antics, bullshit. Then you got Gato in the next match. Five minutes, a lot of cheating, more bullshit. So that takes us to the sixth match of the night. Yes, we had El Desperado and Doki representing Suzuki Goon. They defeated Los Perros del Mal de Japón, Nosawa Rangai, and Yohei. Nine minutes and nine seconds. Yeah, so not too familiar with um, everything revolving Los Perros del Mal de Japón. But, you know, Los Perros del Mal proper is, you know, a very well-known, very long-established heel stable down in uh, Mexico. And, uh, you know, in the recent past, they branched out to Japan with the De Japon branch of the, uh, 
you know, of the faction, not unlike what happened with Los Ingrenables de Japón. So kind of similar in that fashion. Um, for those that, that don't know Nozawa Rangai, he's the booker of the company and uh, kind of an older guy. Yohei is kind of a somewhat recent transplant from Dragon Gate. He was uh, kind of came up through the Dragon Gate system. I was pretty impressed with him, um, even though he's sort of like a grungy looking dude. Yeah, very, very grimy looking. Very grimy. But, um, you know, on this in this instance, it wasn't Doki or Desperado on the New Japan side kind of bringing things down. It was Nozawa Rangai. And there was a lot of and the other funny thing was uh, Los Perros del Mal jumped Suzuki gun before the, <laughs> before the match started. And I'm like, dude, this never happens to them. Like they should have, you know, that should never happen to Suzuki. gun. They should always be prepared that that might occur because they've done it themselves so many times. So, but, uh, you know, the match was fine. Uh, nothing special. I, I, I thought it was interesting that you had like the two Lucha Libre Mexico transplants from Suzuki Gundoki and El Desperado facing off with uh, Los Perros del Mal. Um, but other than that, I, I think the real drawback was Nozaron guys, um, you know, even just being in the match and more cheating, more bullshit, kind of just drawing down the general average. And, uh, you know, it didn't feel, you know, again, this is like the third match in a row where you've got somebody in there that maybe doesn't have business being in there. Yeah, uh, and Despi uh, pinned him to get the win for the team. And uh, post match, you had Yohei, you know, kind of pointing at Despi's junior title and seemed like they were kind of going back and forth. So again, another one of those things they possibly set up. I mean, nothing could happen from it, but they at least they did some kind of interaction post match. And another interesting thing too is just having Doki in here, who was a part of Los Paros del Mal uh, in Mexico. Oh yes. Um, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, he was part of Los uh, Perestumbo in Mexico, right? Yeah, and even in New Japan, like sometimes over his nameplate, it says uh, Perestel Mal Doki. So ah ah, well, um, I think that's done now. I think he's fully uh, sworn into Suzuki Goon. But you know, the interesting thing with Despi is like coming off of his uh, title win over Hiromu, he kind of threw, threw out the name El Lindeman with the Glate sort of interaction and then you know you've got this match with Yohei pointing and obviously he's got Wato waiting the in the wings for him and uh he just had an uh excursion match with Taka Michinoku uh on the Taka Taichi Mania show so not saying that all this stuff's gonna pan out but it's just interesting how like the junior divisions felt pretty stale he finally surpassed you know overcomes Hiromu and suddenly with this uh supposed Puro Forbidden Door maybe opening up, there's other potential challengers like kind of waiting in the wings, which is, I think, a good thing. So Yeah, that would be great. So after that, uh, at this point, we're sitting at, what, 4-1-1? One, one? Yeah. So, you know, New Japan is firmly, firmly ahead. Um, the next match, we had the team of Sugiera Gun, uh, Kazushi Sakuraba, and Takashi Sugiera. Uh, teaming with X because they were supposed to be teamed up with Kenta, but Kenta, and we'll talk about it in the news, Kenta, obviously, when that saw WrestleCade Night 2, he got fucked up pretty bad. All sorts of injuries, was unable to participate in the show. So there was a mystery opponent, and uh, they were taking on the team of Suzuki-Goon, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Taka Michinoku. And the surprise, X 
after lots of uh, you know speculation, ended up being Toru Yano of New Japan slash Chaos. <laughs> yeah, kind kind of a, a weird pick there, but then you think about it, you know, they kind of started the angle with Suzuki and Yano at uh, night two of Wrestle Kingdom in the the KLPW four way when Suzuki, you know, he pinned Yano, but post match Yano handcuffed him. Uh, to the match, and we'll talk about what's coming up on the New Year's Golden Series, but those guys will be feuding over uh, KLPW 2022. The other thing, too, is Kazushi Sakuraba spent a number of years in New Japan and was a member of Chaos. So if he was going to bring someone over from New Japan, it would likely be someone from the Chaos stable. Yano makes sense because they teamed together multiple, multiple times in you know, so many multi-man matches over the years. Plus, like you mentioned, the Yano-Suzuki ongoing feud, he's kind of the one guy that sort of has a chip on his shoulder when it comes to Minoru Suzuki with KOPW going on. So it did kind of make sense. But if you think about it logically, Yano is wrestling for Noah to get Noah (laughs) points on the board. I'm like this man's fucking over New Japan. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He is not a loyalist. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the other thing. Oh, go ahead. No, I'll say the the highlight of this match was just the the interactions between Suzuki and Segura. Like everything they did was gold. And I know you mentioned before, like they had like a great uh, matchup in Noah before uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but these guys are just like slugging each other, laying into each other. And it was great interactions. Yeah, Takashi Sugiera has a lot of history with all of Suzuki Goon. There was a period back in 2015, 2016, where Noah was uh, going under um, a change in ownership, and there was a there was a, a time where New Japan um, Bushi Road actually had a vested interest in the ownership of Noah, and they were shifting bookers. They actually set Ghetto, or I'm sorry, Jado down to Noah um, to kind of help right the ship. And then they also sent um, Suzuki Goon, the entire unit, on sort of a outside excursion to Noah. And during that time, Suzuki Goon kind of ran roughshod over Noah. And um, Segura kind of spent different periods of that time either warring against Minoru Suzuki. And like you mentioned, they have one particular match in 2015 that to me, is one of the greatest uh, Minoru Suzuki matches I've ever seen. And it is available for, for free on the internet. So if you've never seen that match, big, big, big recommend. I'm talking like five stars. You know, some people go five plus. If I was inclined to go five plus, I might go five plus. That's how good it is. But um, the interesting thing is that when Suzuki Goon left uh, Noah, it was actually Segura had to, at one point, join um, Suzuki Goon. So he, like, turned to the dark side and was teaming with them. After fighting against them for so long, he joined them. And on their way out, he decided not to leave to go to New Japan, but he stayed back in Noah and kind of ousted Minoru Suzuki and the rest of Suzuki Goon, kind of getting the final laugh. And that's why he has Sugira Gun because he kind of stole... Um, a couple of the members and stayed back and formed Sugiera Gun off the heels of Suzuki leaving for New Japan. So there's a lot of built-in history between these two guys. Plus, they really, really throw. And uh, like you mentioned, that was the highlight. Uh, it was just a little taste. 
of what that 2015 um, GHC title match is all about, but really good to see them kind of, you know, throw blows once again. Yeah, and end of the match here, Segura, he pins Taka to get the win for the NOAA team. Then post-match, uh, Suzuki kicks down Yano, and he has a stare down with Segura, who's also the 0-1 heavyweight champion. So again, we've seen That Suzuki- belt said AWA. <laughs> uh, well, it's the uh, the AWA zero one heavyweight championship. Um, why they got the AW- Why they got Nick Bockwinkle's belt wrapped around their waist, calling <laughs> it the world title? I don't understand. <laughs> no, actually, I I know the history on that whole thing, but I do think it's hilarious that zero one uses a you know basically a uh, a fake version of the AWA world title and it like they haven't like bothered to even like scratch out AWA or like put zero one on it or anything like it's literally the AWA world title from the 80s and 70s and all that shit yeah that that is pretty funny uh but yeah with, with a post-match uh, stare down with uh, Suzuki and uh, Segura we know Suzuki has worked outside you know Produce shows and freelance shows. He's pretty much a freelancer, even though he mainly works New Japan. So again, we could see these guys lock it up in zero one for the zero one title, or again, maybe you bring Segura in for a matchup with Suzuki. Suzuki goes there to Noah. So there's some possible future matches with these guys. Yeah, and that's the other thing too is like even if they don't, they might wind up wrestling again sometime in the future, like we mentioned with Inamura and Ishii. So you just you don't know if this is just like a long term bread cup breadcrumb or if it's something that's going to get paid off you know this year we don't know right so that win brought uh no up so the score was four two and one after that win there and then um the next match of the evening um we had the team of now me now michi marifuji yoshinari ogawa they defeated the suzuki gun team of yoshinabu kanemaru teaming with zach saber jr 15 minutes and 20 seconds did, did you uh, purposely skip the House of Torture match? Oh, uh, you know, I was like, I was like, man, the the scorecard doesn't sound right. New Japan's going to go too high, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I messed up. Uh, the eighth match of the night was uh, the team of Ghost Shiozaki and Masa Kitamiya from NOAA. Um, they took on the team of House of Torture, Dick Togo, and Evil. And they lost to the Noah team nine minutes and fifty three seconds. And yes, again, another house of torture match. Yeah, these guys again brought the match down. I mean, I thought Go and Kitamiya worked really hard, and you know, it's been a while since I really watched a Go match or seen him go, and just I forget just how loud his chops are. And that was a one good thing yeah. about this match. He he was blistering these boys. Um, Evil and Togo were, were getting uh, chopped so hard uh, by Go. And, you know, it's the first time seeing Masakita Kitamiya. He's a, a, another uh, pretty uh, big dude. And, uh, you know, he, he looked pretty good in the matchup as well. But, yeah, then you just have the, the house of torture antics that these guys had to deal with, you know, working down on Go so that he can get the hot tag into uh, Kiyomiya. And, of course, we had ref bumps and all that shenanigans. We had Yujiro um, and Sho uh, coming out as well to uh, come out. But then um, eventually uh, the Noah team was able to uh, kind of overcome the House of Torture shenanigans and go uh, hit Togo with a lariat to win the match. 
Yeah, and I mean, again, um, if you're keeping track, this is another match with someone, namely both members of House of Torture, that are bringing down the average match rating, you know. And not that it's all about match ratings, but, like, literally, those are correlative to enjoyment of a match and, like, didn't enjoy this one either, you know. So, I mean, it's just it, – it's a uh, it's a constant um, kind of trend throughout this card. You got show, you got ghetto, you got Nosawa Rangai, you got Dick Togo, you got Evil. Those are five guys that could all, in some form or fashion, maybe ended up in one match together, right? Right. And then you got that one shitty match that you can kind of complain about, but the rest of the show is matched with guys that like kind of can go and that kind of deserve to like be showcasing and fighting for the uh, pride of their respective companies. And, you know, it leads to something that's a little bit more entertaining and and digestible, but instead they decide to spread that shit out (laughs) and uh, be like, you know, we're going to put a little wrong guy over here. We're going to put a little ghetto here. We'll oh some Dick Togo over here. And, uh, you know, they spread it out way too mar- way too much. Like, you know, there's at least half of the show where I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and again, so, it's one of those things. Like, we're we're still in the clap crowd environment. I, I get right. you. You you want to make the argument for heat? Well, how much heat can you get when people can't boo? And it even goes back to the, the show match where he, you know, he has a wrench and he's, you know, covering his uh, his finger over his mouth and going, shh. I get that was to get heat, but like, it's, come on, like. You, you can't really get a reaction from that. You can't get a reaction from anything these guys were doing. You know, I'm sure the crowd was happy for, you know, Go and Kitamiya to come back and, and get the win, but, like, there was no cheering. There was no pop for the hot tag. Um, like, there's just nothing you could really get from the heat that they're trying to get here without the torture. Yeah, and Go Shiozaki coming off of, you know, just back from injury, twenty arguably the 2020 wrestler of the year, just in, you know, kind of carried the company during a really tough time in the pandemic and kind of coming into his own as a superstar within the organization. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time coming for him and widely recognized as one of the absolute tier, like top tier talents in all of Perezu right now. And much like Ishii, couldn't do shit with Evil and Dick Togo and like wound up having a pretty terrible match on a Wrestle Kingdom card. And it's like, you know, evil strikes again. Like, I'm never going to bet against evil, meaning I'm never going to think he might have a good match ever again until he actually just goes ahead and surprises me. Like, I'm firmly in the evil is bullshit. He's shit. Like, his match, I, I don't know if I'm even going to watch his matches. They might just be automatic skips going forward. I know we have a responsibility, but like, I feel very confident that I could not watch most of his matches and tell you they were shit and be, like, 99% accurate most of the time, you know? Right. You know the layout now. You could probably guess what happened <laughs> at what part of the match is based on what we've seen the last couple of years now. Yeah, but that's too triggering. I'm not even going to do that. I'm just <laughs> going to be like, it was bad, let's move on. And, yeah. and I'll probably be right without even having to, like, go into detail. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So this but way- that does get Noah... Further up on the board, that uh, kind of brings things uh, four for New Japan, three for Noah, one draw, right? Correct. All right, cool. So now we move so on. Ne- My bad. Go ahead. <laughs> now we move you guys, on. To- you have to understand, me and Jeremy are used to doing this podcast where we can actually see each other. And with the new, uh, I can't, I don't want to go into too much detail, but like with the new mic setup, we're working totally off of 
uh, verbals and no visuals. So I, I'm like, I, I don't know when to speak. <laughs> calling in the ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're calling it. We, we call it in the ring, kid. What do you, uh, you want to do out there? We're going to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the next matchup that you had mentioned earlier, uh, Marafuji and Ogawa uh, representing Noah, they defeated the Suzuki-gun team of Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Zack Sabre Jr. 15 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, and this was a um, this is probably what I would call the first slight recommendation of the show. Um, I wouldn't go full bore and be like, you need to see this one. But if you're like, eh, I'm going to check out the good stuff, this was pretty good, and there's a lot of history here to kind of unpack. Again, we're not the Noah slash All Japan experts, but very familiar with Marafuji, very familiar with Ogawa. Uh, both of them former GHC World Champions. Both of them former GHC Junior Champions. Um, Ogawa, you know, he's been a top tier guy going all the way back to the All Japan days, and um, he also tag team. With Zack Sabre Jr. for years when they were in Noah together. So a lot of history between Zack Sabre Jr. and Ogawa. And on the flip side, Kanemaru and Mirafuji had a long-standing feud where Kanemaru was sort of the elder to Mirafuji, kind of his uh his senior wrestler. And all throughout Mirafuji's junior days, going back to his days as like a a young boy in all Japan and then you know, even his early formative years in Noah and his years as a junior upstart and top guy in Noah, he never was really able to get over on Kanemaru. Even though he holds one disqualification win, they've wrestled met, like countless times in singles action, and he never was able to pin or submit Yoshinabu Kanemaru, who, like, you guys might not know this, I'm sure some people are aware, but like Kanemaru is like the most winningest, most decorated, successful junior champion in the entire history of Noah. So like, and yeah, you know, more people like kind of are aware of Marafuji and think of him as like superstar probably in today's day and age. But there was a time where Kenamaro was like the guy that Marafuji just couldn't fucking beat. So a lot of kind of history to unpack between these two teams. Yeah, that was cool. And I thought Kevin Kelly and Chris Rotten did a great job of kind of explaining uh, some of that history between these four guys here and, you know, Sabre with his time in Noah and coming up through the, through the, the Noah dojo um, and his time in Japan. And so, yeah, a lot of great interactions here. I loved uh, the interactions with uh, Mayor Fuji and Sabre. I thought those guys worked really well together. And, uh, you know, it was a fun uh, tag team matchup. Here. Like you said, like it wasn't like a blow away or like you must watch this match, but this is where the car kind of started picking up here uh, and getting some good stuff. Uh, Katamaru came in. With the uh, Satori uh, whiskey, he tried to uh, you know give uh, Marafuji a, uh, a, a Satori surprise there, but Marafuji kicked the booze out of his mouth, um, and then uh, Marafuji landed his Shurinai and pinned Ka- uh, Kanemaru to get the win for the Noah team there. Yeah, and um, a big deal because again, Marafuji pinning Yoshinabu Kanemaru sort of like he got the Kanemaru, Kanemaru monkey off his back. Yeah, and then uh, post match, you, you know, Saber kind of you know thanking Ogawa and having words with him. Then he went in the ring and uh, had some words with Marafuji, and Marafuji is one half of the GHC Tag Champions right now. And so Saber was kind of kind of pointing to his tag belt, and it seemed like Marafuji was kind of like, you know, where's your tag belt? And so again, right. 
They could do like a dangerous Techers, you know, GSC title match if they wanted to, or maybe we get a Saber Marifuji match on the line. Um, again, just kind of planting seeds. We don't know if anything's going to happen, but it was still interesting for those seeds to be planted. Right. And um, I did see someone post on the New Japan Reddit the post match interview with, uh, and I saw Marifuji and Zack Saber Jr. standing backstage speaking at the same time. I did not get a chance to check that out. I think. More, more than likely, by the time next week's show rolls around, we'll probably have a little bit more insight. Maybe we can touch base on a couple of those things, but, uh, you know, who knows what's going to go on there. Um, so if you're keeping track, we're at 4-4-1. Four, four, and one. There are two more. There's this all that's left on the card, the semi-main event, and then the main event. So, you know, uh, mathematically speaking, there's only two outcomes that can happen. Either you wind up with an outright draw, 50-50 booking, or... Um, one of these teams is going to go up by two matches. And so this 10th match, the semi-main event was very crucial just in terms of, uh, you know, like Jeremy said, brand supremacy, because whichever team lost, essentially, you know, they're mathematically eliminating their company from being able to even win. And the best they could hope for is a draw at that point. Right. So in this 10th match, we had... Los Ingrobanables, Deja Pone, Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito defeating Kongo of Aleha, Nakajima, Kino, Manobo Soya, and Tadasuke. Yeah, and um, there were also two other um, Noah guy, or uh, Kongo guys that were also accompanying them on the outside. Uh, I believe they were juniors as well. So Kongo's a pretty large unit from what I can tell. And um, this was the match that, in my opinion, maybe had the most heat. Uh, I know that the crowd can't, you know, cheer and clap the way that you would imagine traditionally. But, like, the moment the match started and you had Tetsuya Naito squaring off with Katsuhiko Nakajima, the crowd audibly gasped. And you can just kind of feel that there's a lot more of an electricity, people stomping, you know, uh, clapping. And I was like, wow, like. This is honestly, it makes sense. You know, Naito's big stars uh, in New Japan, obviously Shingo as well. You know, just coming off of a very, you know, successful lengthy uh, IWGP world title reign. And then on the flip side with Congo, you've got Nakajima, the reigning um, GHC world champion, and then, uh, or global honor champion. And then Keno, who's also the GHC national champion, which is their red belt. It's kind of like their secondary uh, heavyweight title. And so a very, very dominant force. And like people have been wanting to see these two teams square up. And I thought this is, um, if, if you're cherry picking, this is probably one of the two uh, main event, obviously included, recommends you know i'm not going to go out of my way and say that this was like a classic and everyone needs to see it but um if you're looking for something that feels like a dream match this is your match if you're seeing something that's like very entertaining high work rate good stories everything like that this is your match and um i was very impressed with everybody involved here i i don't know what kind of impression guys like aleha or Manabu Soya or Tadasuke really left on me. You know, they didn't feel to me like the equivalent to, say, Hiromu or Sonata. But um, I thought they were good. But my impression, this is just my impression, Congo seems like a two-man team, like two guys at the top and then a, a bunch of uh, kind of lackeys. 
I don't know. What did you think, Jeremy? Yeah, that's kind of the feeling I got. I know that one of the juniors on the outside, Hiromu, seemed to have beef with. And there was one point in the match where he grabbed him, threw him into the guardrails, and then later on, that guy got revenge on Hiromu by throwing him back into guardrails. So I don't know if that guy maybe is a little bit higher up and wasn't in this match. I think role. he is. They were they were talking shit um, in the build to this match and everything, and Hiromu was on social media saying he wants to wrestle that guy. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but. Uh, yeah, and I thought it was kind of an interesting thing that they didn't, if that is the case, that they didn't include him in this uh, 10-man tag. Yeah, but uh, definitely I thought, you know, Kano and Nakajima came off as the, the clear stars from that group and just had a, a total presence to both of those guys. And you can just kind of feel just the, the change of pace when those two guys were in there with the, the LIJ guys and... I just I love kind of Kano's kind of no nonsense attitude. You know, Naito's still you know trying to do you know the tranquilo and play you know do his pose, and Kano was having none of that jump zone that right. man um, and just just kind of bringing it. It was almost more of like they felt more of like the original Lij. You know, Lij used to be more. I mean, I guess they, they, they kind of are still kind of tweeners or Rudo, like yeah, Rudo leaning. But you know, they're they've pretty much been more baby face and wrestle clean for the most part. But, yeah, uh, Congo was definitely more badass. Is more of that edge and that attitude and really didn't want to deal with LIJ shenanigans or kind of bringing the fight to those guys. Yeah, there was one guy in this match. I don't know if it was Manabu Soya or Tadasuke, but, like, uh, Zach kept trying to tell me he's a junior. And I'm like, that dude's not a fucking junior. And he's like, no, he is. And I'm like, I don't care that he's labeled as a junior. He's not a junior. <laughs> I, I think I think it was uh, Tadasuke because he was in there with uh, Shingo at the end. Okay, yeah, it was Tadasuke because he's the one who ended up taking the fall, right? Right. And I was like, bro, he's as big as Shingo, maybe bigger. He's not a junior, but uh, <laughs> and that was and also that was the other funny thing was when the match kind of got to the end. You and I have seen so many uh, Lij ten man tags that we kind of know when the end is coming. You know, there's a formula. And as good as this match was, and as many little wrinkles they threw in, it's still, at the end of the day, an LIJ 10-man tag. And when it ended up being Tadasuke and not Nakajima, not Keno, you know, but Tadasuke against Shingo, and everyone else is on the outside, I'm like, oh, match is about to be over. And, like, Zach couldn't believe that Tadasuke was going to be the pin eater. So I think he's a little bit higher up than, say, Manabu Soya or Aleha. So it's not like they had Shingo beat the top two guys in the unit, but they, they gave him a quality win over a guy that Zach wasn't necessarily uh, expecting to be the pin eater, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, like you mentioned, towards the end of the match there, uh, Shingo and Dasuke are in there. Then eventually you know, both teams are all in there kind of doing you know the spot where everybody's kind of hitting big moves and getting people out of the ring, and then eventually it's down to Shingo and Dasuke again, and Shingo hits the last of the dragging and pins him. And Lij gets a win, so Shingo getting a big win after dropping the belt on night one of Wrestle Kingdom, kind of standing tall because you know uh, Kano and Nakajima are giving him a hard time for not having his title anymore. So getting standing a little proud there, and of course you know post match there was kind of some jaw jacking between some of those guys. So again, kind of planting seeds for potential matchups in the future. Yeah, and there was even like Nakajima um, kind of looking at Shingo and being like, "Where you know." Shingo sort of pointed at his title, and Nakajima's like, "Where's your belt, bro?" You know, and you could take it one of two ways. Like maybe they're maybe they're teasing 
a Shingo potential title match, but I didn't see it that way. I just saw it as, you know, the two champions, this guy wasn't able to hold on to his belt and, you know, Nakajima kind of rubbing it in his nose a little bit. Um, obviously, Kano and Nakajima, two really fucking hard-hitting guys, but I noticed during the match when they were in there with Naito, much, much, much softer than when, say, they are in there with Shingo. When they were in there with Shingo, like, they were, they were like, going full blast. Yeah. Uh, which was pretty cool. But, um, you know, like I mentioned, the match is very good. Uh, Jeremy, where were you with star ratings in this one? I think I was, like, uh, four stars or four and a quarter. Yeah, I'd probably four flat. I could, but I could see how maybe if you were much more invested in this, you know, matchup and the talent involved, you might go a little higher. It was, it was definitely good. It might have been the match of the show. I don't know. Um, we did have a question, and and with that, Lij secures at least the the one match advantage for New Japan. So if New Japan wins the main event they go up and kind of win the event over Noah, or if they lose, they're at least guaranteed a draw. Yeah. Uh, we had a question from Zach Porter, good friend of the show. He said, who's your favorite member of Congo? Well, for me, just based off this matchup, I think I'm going to go with uh, Kano. Just, you know, just with his no nonsense. And, like, he had none of the tranquilo nonsense. He was just, like, in Naito's face the whole time, and I loved it. I like Kano. I like his look. I like the, you know, the, the even just like his bleached hair with the red gear. I like that he head kicks and knocks people out. I like that he's fucking vulgar. You know, there's a lot I like about him. But I got to tell you, I think I'm a Katsuhiko Nakajima guy. I came up on, on this guy back in the, like, Diamond Ring days and the ROH days and, you know, the early, like, Noah title shots with, like, you know, his feud with Kenta and all that. So... You know, plus his time in New Japan in the G1 and everything like that. So I know it's not the same guy, but like, bro, I might have been a little critical about the Goshiozaki Nakajima main event, but like, there's no denying that Nakajima, in my opinion, the, the best kicker maybe in the history of wrestling. And uh, not for nothing, that means something to me. Plus, he, he's got that shit eating grin where he's also like, he's got an awesome edge to him. So, it's kind of like 1A, 1B, you know, with uh, Nakajima Kano. Yeah. Uh, yeah, love both of those guys. But, yeah, Kano stood out to me a little bit here. But, yeah, both of those guys are great. And definitely looking forward to checking out more of their matches uh, this year. So that takes us to the Dream Match main event as the team that you would think would be one of the most winningest teams in New Japan history, but they're not. The Mega Aces. They, uh, they have coined the term... The dream team is what I believe uh, Kevin Kelly was calling them on, uh, you know, commentary. But I think we all know that Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazushiko Okada are the mega aces. And they were successful in defeating the team of Kaito Kiyomiya, the future ace of Noah, and uh, Kiji Muto, one of the greatest legends in the history of Japanese professional wrestling. 24 minutes, 34 seconds, New Japan. Six, four, and one over Noah. They win the main event. They win the event. And uh, this was quite a match. Yeah, this was a, a pretty good uh, main event here. Honestly, I think the standout was Kiyomiya. I mean, this guy just had a great performance here. He showed so much emotion and passion in there, especially when he was in there with Okada. We know both these guys 
have been wanting to wrestle each other for quite some time now, and I think it made a real a really big deal for Kiyomiya to be in there with Tanahashi and Okada, and just you can just see the fire and just how fast he was moving, how hard he was working to really kind of impress and stand out, and you know he's going toe to toe, you know, with Okada, one of the greatest wrestlers of a generation, you know, Hall of Fame ballot guy, uh, several Tokyo Sports Award winner, the the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. And I felt like it's one of those things where, like, Kiyomiya, like, he saw this as a big platform and a big you know, big chance for him to kind of prove himself to the pure world. I thought he did a great job here. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I mean, if you think about it, in a certain sense, you've got Kijimuto, one of the three pillars, or I'm sorry, three pillars, one of the three musketeers of New Japan in the 90s, uh, one of the biggest all-time draws, all-time drawing cards and stars in the history of New Japan, um, you know, and in the history of just Perezu in general, one of the only guys to win the world titles in both New Japan, All Japan. Uh, I said both, uh, it, but both means just two. Uh, I meant he's won the title in uh, Noah, New Japan, and All Japan, one of the few guys that has ever accomplished that feat. And so he's sort of like, the old past generation and then kind of coming after him, you know, you got Tanahashi, the man that he passed the torch to at wrestle kingdom three, the man that saved new Japan from the dark ages, brought them into, uh, you know, the mainstream kind of revitalized them, you know, the ACE of the universe, once in a century talent, you know, this tip tip top guy who kind of fostered and shelved, you know, kind of brought along Kazushika Okada, who is the current, you know, um, top guy in new Japan and has been for the past decade and is, you know, just at the age of 32, 33 already has more highly acclaimed matches than anybody else in history. And, um, you know, is carrying the company into this new era. So you've got three generations of literally tip, tip top guys in the whole world of Perezu Japanese wrestling, but specifically new Japan. And then Keito Kiyomiya, this guy who's kind of been like earmarked as the uh, the future and present ace of Noah, he was really in there with like wrestling royalty that night, you know. And it is a huge, huge, huge platform. And you know, we might have um, been a little critical of some of the stuff on this show, but uh, you know, there's no denying the star power involved in this match, and just the idea too of like Okada and Muto locking it up, you know, even though Muto is not you know, the Muto of the 90s or the 2000s, the idea that him and Okada are, st- you know, standing across one another, throwing elbows, you know, Hiji Muto's, you know, dragging, uh, dragon screwing everybody and, you know, throwing uh, Shining Wizards. Um, I thought he he uh, had a pretty good accounting of himself. But like you said, Kato Kiyomiya was the, the man that the story of this match was all revolving around and him trying to, prove that he's on the same level as Tanahashi and on the same level as Okada and worthy to be kind of leading a team uh, alongside Kijibuto, you know, and uh, I thought it was phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I'm probably, you know, I'm probably like four and a quarter on this. So I'm not like saying it was a match the year contender, but it was, it was awesome. And I think if, if the crowd had been allowed to cheer, uh, might've even elevated it even higher, you know? Definitely. It was kind of very similar to the LIJ Congo match where you, you kind of heard some like audible gas and you just, it, the crowd just kind of felt different 
when this match was uh, kicking off. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, I think if they were allowed to cheer, like, it would have been a, a, even more of a special moment. But I was also around uh, four-star range with this matchup. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Muto, this man was just, like, spamming Shining Wizards <laughs> at one point in the match. It's kind of like when you, the old SmackDown games where you can set your finisher to, like, unlimited and just keep hitting it. <laughs> well, that's what he was doing at one point. <laughs> No, it's like me when I when I was a kid and I played Mortal Kombat. I just crouched down and then threw uppercuts, and that's all I knew how to do. <laughs> I I get pretty far too, you know, in the game um, <laughs> on easy. But uh, <laughs> oh. but at the end of this match, the interesting thing, uh, one of the visuals I loved was Tanahashi and Muto. They had kind of brawled, I guess, to the uh, outside stage, so they were sort of just watching as the action sort of unfolded between. Okada and Kiyomiya, which, you know, I think is the dream match that a lot of people have been calling for between these two companies, especially since their names have been in, been in each other's mouths since uh, last year during the pandemic. And uh, kind of seeing how just the, the final stands of the match unfolded between Okada and Kiyomiya while, you know, Ta- Tanahashi and Muto like look on from afar. That was really cool. Yeah, Muto had uh, kind of gave Kiyomiya the opening. He hit the Shining Wizard on Okada and then went out to brawl with Tanahashi. Kind of left the, the opening there for Kiyomiya. Kiyomiya tried to capitalize, hit a German for a near fall, hit a Tiger Suplex for a near fall. Uh, but then Okada kind of powered up, came back, hit a the landslide tombstone, followed by the Rainmaker. So, you know, that's like the new deadly combo now. And it was kind of game over for Kiyomiya. Which then led to that moment you were talking about with uh, Tanahashi and Muto outside the ring, kind of sitting down, watching, and then... Uh, Muto eventually having to help Kiyomiya to the back and Kiyomiya crying, a very similar to uh, Gato helping Okada out when he failed to beat Tanahashi. Yeah, and I don't think that that was an accident. I think that was definitely a planned thing uh, with the way that the, the camera angle was set up. And, uh, you know, you, you, you remember that famous image from Wrestle Kingdom 9 where Okada is in tears and being helped to the back with uh, Ghetto, and then in the background, standing over their shoulder in, in the foreground, you've got Tanahashi, you know, holding his title and, and celebrating. And it was the same exact imagery, except it was Tanahashi and Okada standing jubilant in victory at the top with uh, old man Muto helping Kiyomiya to the back. And again, I don't know what this is going to lead to. I did see that there's backstage comments for this. I did not get to listen or, you know, see if there's anything revel, you know, revelatory from that. But yeah, uh, the the one thing I did see was Okada saying, uh, you know, Kiyomiya, you want to get better. Why don't you do a excursion to new Japan and come over here and improve? That's interesting. I mean, but at the same time, like, Kiyomiya's already like held their world title. I feel like in a certain sense that would be like demeaning. I don't know. You know, I feel like there's a time and place for that, and it's before you win your, you know, the world title multiple times. Right. Um, or I don't know if Kiyomiya's held it twice, but I know he's held it at least once. You know, maybe it'd just be better if Muto just put him over. Maybe that would be <laughs> maybe that would be the move, you know. Yeah. Instead of having him come lock it up on road two shows, like maybe they could just uh, put him over. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but um, I do think that imagery was on purpose, and I don't know if it's going to get paid off in some way. But uh, if there was anything that should get paid off more so than anything else on the card, that was the one 
little gem that they tossed our way where I'm like, fuck, I would love to see Kiyomiya and Okada like run it, you know? And uh, who knows? Maybe if he did come to New Japan, it's not just like a, a young boy excursion, but maybe he comes over and he like is a main event player and wrestles Okada for the title. Who knows? Or maybe a G1. I don't know. Yeah. It's a pr- surprise New Japan Cup entrant, G1 entrant. Um, there's, there's a lot of cool things you could do with Kiyomiya doing a couple shots in New Japan. Well, um, that's going to do it for that part of the coverage. We got quite a few questions here about this uh, night three. Yeah, so uh, first from uh, Bobby Chaniago from the Wrestling Squared Circle group. He says, do you think NJPW versus Noah was just a one-time thing, or will there be more later? Hoping there will be more later. If I had to take a guess of anything else, there might just be like talent exchanges or special matches, but I don't expect to see another full-fledged New Japan Noah card like this again. That's my gut instinct. Right. I mean, I, I feel like they might try to say it for like a one-time thing. Because, I mean, it did draw pretty well. 7,000 people. There was a lot of buzz. It, it sold out quickly. Um, so maybe they kind of, maybe it's like an annual thing they do if they want to continue to work together. But like you said, Josh, I definitely think we were, we're going to go down. If, if they keep working together, we're going to see more of talent changes, people showing up in uh, the G1, people showing up in the N1 victory, people showing up in different tournaments or different, you know, potential one-off matchups. Uh, next question comes from Reddit user XXGizmoLTDXX with Will Ospreay not taking part in Wrestle Kingdom Night 3. Where do you guys think he stands with New Japan? Is he poised to take some more time away from New Japan proper? Yeah, this is um, one where I feel pretty confident that he at least for the time being, is going to be spending a little bit of time away from New Japan. We already know this based on the fact that he's booked for um, dates here in the States. He's got a match with Warrior Wrestling coming up against Brian Cage. He's got uh, some dates for Rev Pro High Stakes coming up. He's wrestling Michael Oku for the uh, Rev Pro Unified title. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's back by, say, the end of Golden Series. Um, or even for the New Japan Cup seems likely. Yeah, I would expect him to be back for New Japan Cup. It seems like, you know, he's a little bit more okay with during the, the quarantines, and who knows, by March, maybe the quarantine length will go down again with how long guys have to quarantine when they go in Japan. Um, so, I mean, he had an incredible year last year coming back from the injury, and so I think he's ready to kind of get back in New Japan. And I think his post-match comments from night two kind of indicated like, yeah, you know, he's planning on sticking with new Japan. So I do think we'll see him more this year. Uh, next question here from Reddit user raising Falcons. He says in Noah versus NJPW three out of four wins for Noah, if I'm not mistaken was versus former Noah members. Could this mean Noah is just not good enough to beat NJPW members and has to be content with beating former, former Noah members. Well, I mean, <sighs> It's kind of a leading question, the way that you phrased this. And I I do understand what you're saying there. And I think it's interesting. I hadn't given any consideration personally to to the idea that the losing uh, members on the New Japan side were also former NOAA guys. Um, But you also have to take into consideration that they are New Japan members. So when you're saying, could it mean that NOAA's not good enough to beat New Japan members? No. It doesn't mean that because they absolutely did beat full-fledged 
active roster New Japan guys. You know what I mean? It's not like they were uh, beating guys that are seen by the wide margin of fans as uh, those are not real New Japan guys. Those are outsiders, you know, like the Noah scum, like how people will talk about Kenta. It's not like that. Right. I mean, pretty, there, pretty much everybody but, that represented New Japan were guys like you mentioned, where it's like, even if they came from Noah recently, even guys like Taiji Ishimori and Kanamaru and guys like that. I mean, at this point, those guys right. are, are New Japan guys. But with that being said, could there have been some level of internal politics where they're like, okay, we'll let you beat us, but uh, it's going to be guys that used to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> and Noah's like, we'll take it. <laughs> you know, that is a possibility that I never really thought of. Could it be coincidence? Possibly. Uh, but now that you've kind of brought it to light, I think it's unlikely that that's the case. I think that maybe that was by design. But that might be more of just an internal pride thing between the companies. And I don't know that it was a, you know, it's not like Kevin Kelly was on the call. He's like, keep in mind, they used to work for Noah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I don't think that we in the kayfabe are supposed to be picking up on that. Or, you know, maybe, maybe, who knows, maybe the Japanese commentary was saying something different. But, uh, you know, I do think that's interesting. I think that's a good catch that you brought to light there. Uh, next question from Reddit user Less Commission seven two five two. With the New Japan and Noah event officially over, do you see the two companies looking back up for this year's G one? I wouldn't mind seeing half the dream matches in just G one matches. Um, great question. Uh, one thing too earlier, I said uh, I answered that question and said I think it's unlikely they do a full fledged event like this again, and it kind of goes back to what Raising Falcon's question pointed out the level of politics that were involved here, all the discussions and the board meetings and, you know, this card presented and these scenarios were presented and blah, blah, blah. And they ultimately ended up with uh, what we got. That tells me that it's just so unlikely that these two companies in particular are going to like be working on a full fledged scale ever again. Look at how much politics was involved. Right, this, uh, and they were working on this show for a long time. Like it's pretty much a report. Like it's been like a year in advance that they were like in talks and working on this show. So, yeah. Now, um, in terms of the G one or even like the N one victory, could it be possible? Because you said I wouldn't mind seeing half the dream matches and just G one matches. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but uh, you know, let me just tell you what I think is feasible. Could one or two guys? from the opposing company show up in the other company's tournament, that's possible. Any more than that is highly unlikely. I don't see like, uh, you know, half the field of either tournament being the other company, if that makes sense. You right. Know? right. Um, especially considering how stacked the G1 usually is and how many, now obviously things were different this past year with a uh, travel restriction. So who knows, maybe that, could be needed and they might lean upon something like that. But uh, normally it's very difficult for just the regular roster members of new Japan who deserve to be in the G1 to even get in because there's only like 20 spots and there's so much talent involved. So I couldn't see more than one or two Noah guys being in there with the N1 victory. That's a little more difficult. Uh, They've had outsiders in their annual round Robin tournament before but they have a much smaller field traditionally. So they have like, 
you know, somewhere between 10 to like 12 guys, I think normally um, kind of round out that tournament. So one like new Japan guy, maybe, maybe two. And even if we got that, that would be like mind blowing at this point. Uh, so I don't think it's likely that we see anyone from either company showing up, but at the most one or two guys, that's a possibility. Maybe. Yeah. I think that would be uh, really cool. We have another uh, G1 related question here from our man imp over at uh, wrestlingheadlines.com. Uh, since he saw the same question posted elsewhere, but if there were to be any Noah lads in the G1, are there any personal favorites you'd like to see included? Um, you know, just to make it easy, I'll just give you the top four, and I think it's the big four of the company. Ken O, Kiyomiya, Nakajima, Goshiozaki. Those are like the four guys who I'd want to see, and they're the four guys that were involved in the, you know, main event, semi-main event of the most recent Noah show. Man, and just uh, two other names. I mean, obviously Marifuji, who's worked at G1 in the past. I think Marifuji would be uh, cool to see back again. And then uh, Inamura, the, the big hoss that was uh, battling with Ishii. You you get him in a B block with uh, Ishii and Shingo and uh, some other like, hoss, hard-hitting guys. Like, that would be a fun block. Well, just to kind of put it in context... When Noah was involved in New Japan's uh, G1 a few years ago, they did have Nakajima and Marafuji, and those were two totally different types of competitors. You had Marafuji, a guy that like went to all the way to a block fight, you know, someone who'd held titles across the world, and even in New Japan previously, he'd had a working relationship with New Japan. Like he's he's like a, a high end established guy in the company. You know what I mean? Right. Then at the time, you had Nakajima, who's like a well-known rising star, but someone who like had never won a world title yet. He wasn't like a made guy. And they sent like essentially a super rookie and then like someone who was capable of challenging for the world title. I think that idea that you said like Inamora or someone like that, that would be cool for them to send like, we've got a guy who's on the horizon. He's the next guy. We're going to send him so that he can get seasoning, and then we send, like, Kiyomiya, you know, or Nakajima. So yeah. that, there is precedent for them to do something like that. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Uh, Viking Payne asks, uh, he says, this New Japan Noah thing can't be over now, can it? They can draw serious money with more joint shows in the future, especially with more LIJ Congo matches. Yeah, that's true, but... Um, Whenever you look at most long-term um, partnerships between um, major Perezu companies, one company either damages the other one, and even if they make a lot of money in the short term, it damages the credibility of the other one so that long-term their business is not viable. We've seen companies like UWFI and stuff like that go out of business because of their cross-promotion. War is another one that kind of comes to mind. Um, you know, normally it's more beneficial when you have a small company getting brought up by a big company like New Japan or All Japan or something or Noah, who kind of benefit from the added exposure. But when you have two comparable or similar sized companies, the financial payouts in the short term generally are never worth the risk involved with the long-term um, 
ramifications. And like I mentioned, considering how how much politics were involved, and I mean, I'm not saying we have insider information, but look at the card we got. It's highly unlikely that we're going to see, in my opinion, really, really serious, like, joint shows. I, now, talent exchanges, that's a totally different deal. With talent exchanges, you know, you can protect people, you can integrate them into the company. There's a long history of that being very successful all over Japan, but uh, joint shows, unless it's just like, you know, for instance, like DDT teaming up with, uh, you know, uh, like Big Japan for like a big Jan- January like or December 31st show, you know, and that's just kind of like a off in its own no man's land sort of like uh, sort of like what this was, a produce level show that has no real meaning or ramifications. That's the best you're probably going to get. Yeah, and again, like we mentioned, the key is it's all about politics and just the politics involved in putting together uh, a show like this. So yeah, would more New Japan versus Noah shows be cool? Would more LIJ Congo matches be cool? Yes, that would be great. But again, it's just the the amount of time and politicking and negotiation that has to happen for both companies to be happy and to make both guys look, both teams look strong. Uh, he also asked, are you guys surprised Noah ended up on the losing end of night three and the show didn't end in a draw? I thought it was going to happen after the Young Boys match ended in a time limit draw. Um, I was a little surprised that they didn't work it out in a way for it to end in a, you know, in a 50-50 split across the board. But, you know, um, do I think that they made Noah look a little lower than New Japan? based on the booking and some of the way that they booked uh, some of the outcomes of the matches. Yeah, I do actually think that. But they didn't, like, bury them. You know what I mean? So Right. It wasn't like they yeah. went, no, only won one match. And at the end of the day, this is branded show was Wrestle Kingdom, which is a New Japan branding. And clearly, even though it's a cross-motion show, it's kind of like New Japan's idea as a part of the 50th anniversary Right, kind of driven home. A lot of the marketing for this was kind of on New Japan's side, so I kind of understand why they went over strong here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next question here from Reduser PSA ninety one says: I was at night three of Wrestle Kingdom, and the crowd was hot for everything, minus the House of Torture matches. My friend who was at Wrestle Kingdom's night one and two said the crowd was much better at the NJPW vs Noah show compared to the crowd at the Tokyo Dome. My question is about some of the angles and potential future matchups coming out of the show. How many of them do you think we will see in a New Japan ring, and how many will happen in a Noah ring? Definitely hope the Noah vs. New Japan isn't just a one-off show, as I overall enjoyed it more than the first two nights of Wrestle Kingdom in the Dome. Um, well, I'm glad you uh, had a good time at night three of Wrestle Kingdom. I'm glad the crowd was really into this, and I can see why. I mean, there is a dream match element to the entire event. And I mean, that's kind of what I was alluding to when we were asked at the top of the show, like, is it a skip? And I'm like, if you're, you know, if you're looking for blow away matches, it's, you know, you probably want to only cherry pick a couple things, but if you're, you know, enjoying the event for what it is, and it's a cross branded cross promotional, you know, matches that you just couldn't get any other way. It was pretty cool, and I could see why the, the crowd would be into it. 
That being said, I am standing by what I said all throughout the show. I don't think that we're getting any of this paid off personally. Um, I don't think they have tag team title feuds planned out. I don't think we're getting Ishii, Ishii and Inamura. I, I think all that stuff's just like kind of light teases. And I feel like, in my opinion, and I could be wrong here, and I think it, we might know more when we get the comments. I think a lot of people are wishfully reading too much into what they saw. They saw brief interactions between people, and they're like, oh, they're teasing a, a, a match. But, I mean, you didn't see people getting laid out after matches. You didn't see, like, people pointing to their waist and doing the, like, <laughs> the <laughs> the belt motion. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just saw people showing their belts, and it was very ambiguous. And so, to me, no, I don't think we're seeing any of it. The only thing. And even this was ambiguous. The only thing where I'm like, there's smoke to that fire is Kiyomiya mirroring the walkout of Okada. But I don't even know if that's going to get paid off now. That could be something where like it gets paid off years from now. Right. I, I think, if ever. I think they planned some seeds for stuff. Like you mentioned earlier, like if they want to come back to it. Like it, it might not even happen this year, but let's say the following year or whatever, Inamora ends up in New Japan Cup and it's Inamora Ishii at round one. Then you can right. point you can point back and be like, oh yeah, you know, these guys locked horns last year uh, at Wrestle Kingdom 16 night three. And so there's definitely, you know, these guys have been waiting a whole year to get each other. So I feel like they set some interactions up to where if they can work things out, there there is something they can play back onto. But I just don't know how confident I am that any of this stuff will play out this year. Uh, next question from Reddit user Japanese NJ Fan. Would you guys like to see more of these cross promotion shows? In my opinion, this was a great show. I think New Japan should do this for more promotions like Dragon Gate, the All Japan show that's coming up in April, maybe my personal favorite, DDT. Okada mentioned that Kiyomiya should go to New Japan as a young boy to get stronger. What do you guys think about that? Okay, so I didn't hear, uh, well, I haven't seen the comments myself. So I, uh, based the way you made it sound, is he kind of said like excursion, which can mean anything. But if he told him like come back as a young boy, that would be like pretty disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, from, from the comments I that I thought I saw, I don't remember him saying. You know, I, I know he said the word excursion, like come to New Japan on an excursion, but I don't remember him saying be a young boy. Gotcha. Um, as far as um, you know, cross promotion, we're big proponents of it. We have been. We've been saying this for a long time. Um, so I'm glad to see it happening on some level, you know, and even, even just now, like the stuff with Glade, the stuff with, uh, JTO, now Noah, stardom, obviously that's all really great stuff. And I'd like to see more of it. And, uh, we already know that they are doing the all Japan show for Corkin's anniversary, which is really cool. My only thing with it is I would like to see either more meaningful and or better matches being made, you know? And I think both companies or whatever companies get involved need to kind of put a little bit of their ego aside with some of this stuff for the fans. Right, and we do know a part of the whole 50th year anniversary initiative for this year is to do more quote-unquote dream matches, more cross-promotion. There was rumors of Dragon Gate being one of those companies. Um, so we're getting the All Japan show. We could be getting something with Dragon Gate later in the year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who all they work with and what kind of shows are there going to be more of this type of show where it's all 
a bunch of tag team matches, or like you mentioned, do we get some companies that are are more willing to kind of put their pride aside um, and say, hey, let's do something really cool for the fans. Let's do some, you know, a couple single stream matches. Absolutely. Uh, next question here from Dom Homie One Hundred and One. What would be a dream opponents for the Mega Aces? It could be talent from the past or present. Oh man, um, you know, off the top of my head, I've got quite a few tag teams I could think of. Do you, uh, Jeremy? Why don't you go ahead first and maybe, uh, you know, have at it? Whatever, whatever teams you can think of that you'd like to see them go against. Uh, let's see, past or present. Because I don't want, I've got quite a few, and I don't want to take any that you might want to list, which I think probably are a few of the same ones I got. Uh, I mean, I feel like you got to put them in there for like Anoki and somebody. Well, that's one. Um, and if you were to do that for me, that's the, the famous team of B Cannon. Um, that's Antonio Anoki and Giant Baba. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, Baba. Yeah, that, that's yeah. That'd be probably one I would think of from from past. And I, I would do it back in the 60s when they're in their prime, you know, so prime Anoki and Baba against uh, the Mega Aces. That would probably be, like, out of this world. Yeah, that'd probably draw money in that time, huge money in that time period. Um, a tag team that we probably should have seen them wrestle, but uh, it just, you know, the stars never aligned, but they were all in the company at the same time. Golden and this lovers. is one, the Golden Lovers. <laughs> Like that's something where you could you could sell out a Tokyo Dome if you did Golden Lovers against Mega Aces. Yeah, that that would be huge. Yeah, that would be huge. So that's that's an obvious one. Um, another one that comes to mind for me um, right out the gate, uh, maybe Jumbo Saruta and uh, uh, Tenryu. Mm. They teamed together for a while. Very very successful team and. Uh, like, how could that not be fucking awesome? Yeah, that would be dope. Um, another team, um, my, you know, they, they, they're not like a classically known tag team, but uh, they teamed together in ROH and then in WWE for brief periods. And uh, I'm a big fan of theirs. Uh, I affectionately call them the Indie Powers. And that's the team of Brian Danielson and CM Punk. Yeah, especially, you know, with Okada's comments on wanting to wrestle both Punk and Brian, that would be a pretty cool matchup to do. Yeah. So those are a, a few of the teams that, like, come to mind. Obviously, I mean, you know, you could go Young Bucks. Yeah. I think the old team, you, you, you could do uh, Steiner Brothers. Steiner Brothers. Uh, dude, the... The, the Road Warriors slash LOD. Yeah. Um, there's a famous match that's very, very good. It's Hulk Hogan and Tenru from Super World of Sport against uh, uh, the Legion of Doom from like 1990, 91, something like that. And it's it's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> mm. It's probably like one of the best uh, Road Warrior matches. And it's because it's a dream match with two aces, you know, in Hogan and uh, Tenru. And everyone's like, Fucking working really hard. It's really good. Yeah, so. uh, kind of a, a random one. I just, just thought about Abushi um, and Nakamura. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, not that Abushi and Nakamura team together extensively, but I mean, how could that not? You know, that's that'd be so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot you can do there. Is, are there any, um, you know, is there like a team that you can think of right now that you'd like to put together and maybe have them face? Obviously we said golden lovers. We already said, uh, young bucks, um, you know, CM Punk and, uh, Brian. Yeah. I mean, I think Punk and Brian would be the money. Cause like, I mean, like you mentioned, indie powers, like they're like two kind of ace type guys. I mean, obviously they're not like, I mean, they're pushed very hard in AEW, but they're not like really like the quote unquote aces of that promotion. But I think those two top stars against Okada and Tanahashi, you do that at the main event in a big building. I think that would sell out. But no, no, um, no other like dream matches from WWE or like AEW you can think of maybe. Because uh, for me, I think that's everybody. I yeah, mean, obviously there's other stuff you can do, but I think that's those yeah, are the ones I th- I'd think, like to see. Yeah, I think those are the big ones. He also asked, if New Japan running a big stadium show in May, is it possible that we get some big-time match like Okada versus Muto? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is possible. Uh, considering Muto's history at the Fukuoka Dome, um, it's it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it makes my stomach drop a little bit when you said that because I've never considered it. But uh, if there was a match that was possible... That's one, and uh, I hope they don't do that. Yeah, I hope they don't do that either, but like you mentioned with his history and it's the 50th year, they may want to try and throw some nostalgia, do some kind of something crazy. That it, I mean, it could happen, but I'm, I'm not down for it. <laughs> uh, his last question here, is it me or is there some major books that could be made with some more joint shows between NJPW and Noah? There are a lot of stories and matches that we could see, and it seems like it would be good for business. And I feel we, we kind of kind of covered that and answered that. Uh, with some of the previous questions undoubtedly it would freshen things up and there's a lot of money to be made it's just uh putting egos aside doing it smartly and uh i don't know if they're capable of doing that so far it seems no yeah well that wraps up all the wrestle kingdom related questions right now let's jump over to new japan of america talk about strong uh, nemesis night one which happened this past saturday on njpw world Show kicked off. We had a continuation here of the United Empire LA Dojo feud as TJP defeated the DKC eight minutes and thirty one seconds. Liked this match a lot. Uh, they, they've kind of shown the progression of the DKC uh, being a guy that like TJP kind of ran over earlier in the year, and, and then in this match it was much more fifty fifty. He was going hold for hope hold for hold, toe-to-toe with TJP the entire time. They kind of showed him as almost an equal, but not quite good enough to beat TJP just yet. Yeah, I think the crowd heat really added to this match, too. The crowd just hated TJP so much and kind of were really behind DKC and wanted him to kind of get the upset win here. Yeah. But yeah, TJP gets the win with the, the Mamba Splash. Then the second match of the night, we have the Bullet Club team of Chris Bay and Hikaleo. They defeat the team of Jordan Clearwater and Keita Murray. This was uh, Keita Murray's uh, debut for New Japan Strong. Um, nothing really major here. Nine minutes, 12 minutes, nine minutes and 12 seconds. It was a fine match. Um, Jordan Clearwater, serviceable as always. I liked Keita Murray. Um, smaller guy, uh, especially in comparison to like, Hikaleo, obviously, but um, I did list. I thought he was pretty agile, very you know athletic. I thought he was a good hand in there. Um, Post match, they they did the uh, 
backstage comments. And I, I'll tell you this, Jordan Clearwater is a terrible promo. <laughs> but uh, also, D, DKC is a terrible promo, bro. I mean, real bad. But you know who's not a bad promo? Keita Murray. And uh, he's got this gimmick where he talks about, because his name is Keita, and he starts rhyming it with, like, the key to success and the key to doing this and the key, finding the key to this and the key to that. And I was like, oh, he's, like, kind of smooth on the mic. Like, so who knows? Um, I'd like to see more of him down the road. Yeah, I thought he looked good in this matchup here. And I like, I like to see him in a, in a one-on-one setting um, to kind of see more of what he can do. But uh, the size is an issue. Um, obviously, like, it's an open weight company, New Japan Strong. But uh, even by their standards, I think he's a smaller guy. Yeah. And then the main event here for Night One Nemesis, a strong style fight of the year nominee, AEW's Eddie Kingston, the Mad King. He defeats Gabriel Kidd 12 minutes and 37 seconds, and this match was a slugfest. Yeah. um, It just fucking ruled. If you haven't seen it, you need to go out of your way to see it. One of the most violent match, actually the most violent match in the history of New Japan Strong, in my opinion, more so than any of the Tom Waller title defenses, more so than the Narita matches, more so than anything Chris Dickinson's done in this company, more than Mox and Kenta. Uh, This was just a fucking war, and it wasn't just a bunch of hard strikes, even though it was a lot of that. Um, this is kind of what I was talking about, Jeremy, when I was a little critical of like Nakajima and Goshiozaki's match in that like they hit hard, but it never got to that next level of like emotional roller coaster ride. They didn't take you here and like take you on a ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was a much shorter match where they definitely did that. I mean, to see Gabe Kid struggle and go through the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations and Eddie Kingston, who's like, just, I don't know, man. There's something about that guy. He just gets he gets you like emotionally. I don't know what it is. Like you his his fucking wrestling, like everything about him like comes through his wrestling. And uh these guys tore the house down. Um I don't know what my rating is, but I, I maybe like four and a quarter or maybe four and a half. But regardless, this is one of the most hard hitting New Japan matches I've seen all year. I like for me. And this is just where I'm putting it. I probably would have voted this as fight of the year over everything last year. Yeah, like this that, was, got, that got nominated. This was just so brutal, and like, it's one of those things where it, <laughs> yeah, it, it just felt like a fight. And you know, you have Eddie Kingston who loves uh, Pure Rezu. He he loves um, you know all Japan. He loves uh, New Japan, and um, we saw the mix of that. And of course, Gabriel Kid. You know, he was tr- trying to fight for Shibataism and. Uh, proving what he's learned in LA Dojo and, you know, not backing down and him, you know, trying to strike down Kingston, but Kingston would just come out with these, like, the backhands and these big chops and strikes and slaps. And uh, I love the spot where um, Kingston hits a, a big, like, sit out powerbomb uh, and then Gabe kicks out of two. And, like, normally when a guy kicks out out of a sit out powerbomb, but the other guy kind of falls back too or kind of jumps with them, Kingston just kind of sat there and looked annoyed at the fact that Gabe Kidd would dare kick out of this powerbomb. <laughs> Post-match, Eddie and him had an awesome interaction. Yeah, I saw it. Kingston was like, dude, you know, 
you've honored me by having this like hard hitting battle in, in, you know, in a new Japan ring. And he's like, I want you to, uh, you know, get better, fight a couple more fights, win them. Once you do that, you and me, we do this again in this ring. And he's like, and you better beat me because if you don't, I don't know if you'll ever get another shot at me once again. He's like, but I want to fight you again. And I was like, fuck, I want to see them fight again too. Yeah. That's a great story. And I, I hope that we do get, uh, more of Kingston on New Japan Strong. And I hope they do kind of pay off this kind of story that they have here with Kid needing to get better to prove that he could beat Eddie Kingston. They got good stories in New Japan Strong, man. And uh, this was a this was a if you haven't seen this match, you got to see it. Yes, this, um, this is a go out of your way to watch. This will be. I, I already locked it in on the document. 2022 See, you award. said nominee like i'm like i don't know that it's it's a contender because we can't say we haven't nominated anything but like it doesn't matter jeremy's already said it's nominated yeah <laughs> I, i've locked it in <laughs> it, it's on it's going to be on the ballot for next i have a hard time seeing it being knocked off because like this was just so brutal and the strikes are so loud and it, this was like it's a drag out knock them out fight this was awesome yeah and i mean I rarely go like above four on a 12 sub 15 minute match. So, I mean, that really tells this. I I'm surprised that this was only 12 minutes. Like I didn't know that it was only that. I thought it was much longer to be honest. Yeah, it, it was awesome. So definitely go out of your way. Watch Kingston and Gabe kid from this past week's uh, strong. It's nemesis. The first night of the nemesis tour and this coming up Saturday, we will have the uh, night two of nemesis Big main event here, Jonah returns to Strong to take on David Finley, kind of follow up from the angle from Battle in the Valley. Then we'll have uh, Brody King taking on Dave Dutra in his Strong debut, and then opening the show, we will have Carl Fredericks and Kevin Knight taking on the Stray Dog Army of Bateman and Mysterioso. So, um, that we're looking forward to that. Um, Next coming up, we have on the docket the Golden Series. What's the Golden Series, you ask? That is the next name of New Japan Proper's tour. Um, you're probably wondering why is it not New Beginning as it normally is this time of the year? Well, from 1972 to 1989, the name of this branch of the tour was the Golden Series. And uh, they made that announcement during Wrestle Kingdom this year that we'd be having a Golden Series, um, you know, post Wrestle Kingdom. That's what's happening, and um, it is exciting, you know, because it's the 50th anniversary. I think they're doing something that's a little bit more of a throwback, and uh, we got some announcements for the upcoming Golden Series. We had a question here from Megistress. He asked, or they asked, what programs do you expect to see for the upcoming Golden Series tour? And the good news is, we don't have to wonder about what programs are on the docket because we got. Show announcements, match uh, announcements, and some of those, uh, you know, more notable uh, upcoming title matches and programs have been announced already. Yeah, so I'll run through some of the the bigger matchups here. Off of this uh, New Year's Golden Series tour is running from January twentieth to February twentieth, so there'll be a lot of shows kind of in between. But New Japan kind of uh, announced some of the bigger matchups, and of course, as shows come, we'll preview review all of them, but. Uh, first big show coming up February 11th in Sendai. We'll have a main event of El Esperado defending the IWGP Junior title against Master Wato in the main event. Then a Wrestle Kingdom rematch between Show and Yo. Yes, we're getting another Show and Yo match. 
And then uh, Tiger Mask will be taking on Taiji Ishimori. Then we go to February 13th in Osaka. Going to have a main event of Sonata and Naito taking on Tanahashi and Okada. Then the semi-main, we're going to have a never-open-weight championship match, a lumberjack match with Evil and Ishii. So we'll have to endure a another Evil and Ishii match. Maybe the lumberjack stipulation will make it a, a little bit better. Um, and then we'll also have uh, two single matches. We'll have Robbie Eagles versus Ishimori and El Fantasmo versus Tiger Mask. So pretty big show there in Osaka. Then moving on to Sapporo, February 19th and 20th, two night shows here, the last two nights of the tour. On night one, we'll have the main event. The U.S. title will be on the line. Tanahashi will defend against Sonata. Then the junior, or the tag team titles, the heavyweight tag team titles, Chaos will defend against House of Torture, Evil, and Udro. And then the IWGB junior tag team titles, Flying Tiger, Robbie Eagles, Tiger Mask will defend Against Bullet Club's cutest tag team, ELP and Taiji Shimori. Then on night two, the main event, the IWGP World Heavyweight title will be on the line. Kazuchika Okada will defend against Tetsuya Naito. The never open with six-man titles will be on the line. House of Torture will defend against Chaos. And then the KOPW 2022 Provisional Championship will be on the line as Minoru Suzuki will take on Toru Yano. The stipulations have not been announced for that yet. Yeah, um, so some big, big programs coming up. Um, we had a question about night two, uh, the IWGB world title match between Okada and Naito. Kuro Poppy asked us, are you surprised that Naito is the first challenger of Okada after Wrestle Kingdom? Usually, the first defense after Wrestle Kingdom is given to an upper mid-card guy. That's why I had Cobb winning, but I was pleasantly surprised that New Japan is kicking off the year with such a big match. Um, we also were asked thoughts on, uh, from Dom Homie 101. He asked thoughts on Naito being the first opponent for Okada in the aftermath of Wrestle Kingdom 16. And is it possible that this will not be a one-off and be more of a year-long feud between both guys? Yeah, so, I mean, I was kind of in this, the same kind of mindset of Puro Poppy thinking, you know, Jeff Cobb would be a good guy. And I think, you know, we said in the preview that the Cobb-Naito match was probably the de facto uh, number one contender match, whoever win that was going to challenge, but I think we were all kind of leaning towards Cobb because they had recently just did the Cobb-Okada uh, rivalry, and we figured that would be a great kind of easy first defense for Okada uh, going into this year. But so, yeah, kind of a, a pleasant surprise going with Naito, and again, they always do a great job of protecting the Okada-Naito matchup, and even though we've seen it, Several times now on big stages, they normally don't do it multiple times within a year or even multiple years in a row. It's been quite some time. I think it's been about two years now since the last time these guys have faced off in a singles match. So it's it's still a protected matchup. We know it draws big. It's always a great matchup. So I think it's a great way to kind of kick off. You know, it's, it's a 50th year anniversary. They're bringing back this Golden Series. They want this year to be a really big year. I think it just kind of shows you it's going to be a big year when you're kicking off one of your biggest matches as uh, the, the the lead title program for this tour. Yeah, and I mean, um, they're doing this match in the Hokkaido Prefectural uh, Sports Center, which I think is a pretty big building. So it's not like, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it's probably at this stage right now um, a good stage for this particular match, you know, given the fact that they've done it in the past. I mean, 
can they still draw with it? Yes. And I mean, could they still do big shows like Dominion, things like that with it, or G1 final in the future? Sure. You know, but uh, I don't think that this is like surprising to me, just depending, you know, just because of uh, the announcement that we got, uh, you know, their intentions of this golden series tour in general. Yeah. And as far as like Dom homies, like this is going to be like a one-off or more of a year long feud. Like I mentioned earlier, they did such a great job of protecting this match. I have a hard time seeing this kind of be a, a thing where it's Okada and Naito feuding all year. I think it's just uh, you know Okada's first kind of big title offense for the year, and I think uh, I think you know also we'll do predictions later, but I think he's I'm pretty confident he's going to win, and so it'll be first of many defenses for him this year. Uh, but it's kind of a, a big start for that for this title run. Yeah. I'm a little surprised by this for the same reason you guys have mentioned. I won't belabor that point, but I agree with your rationale. But like we mentioned, um, things are going to be different this year. And I think that's a good thing because they're trying to freshen things up just a bit because it's the 50th anniversary. So we're getting surprises and we're getting, um, you know, hopefully what it seems like some bigger matches on bigger stages than we maybe traditionally would be getting at this time of the year, which is that's a good thing. Um, as far as the trajectory of Naito, um, you know, post match at Wrestle Kingdom, he was pretty adamant that he's trying to get back to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom next year on January 4th. So that seems to be his story, at least at this point in time. Um, and is it possible we see them wrestle one another again in the future? Um, after this match, win, lose, or draw for either man. Yeah, it is, because you got a G1 coming up, you know, so you always have to take that into consideration. Um, if Naito were to win, which I don't think is likely, but if he were to win, obviously the rematch is on the table right out the gate. So with that, you, you've pretty much locked yourself into a three-match series pretty easily. But uh, depending on the outcome of how the match plays out, whether, I don't know, uh, if it ends in some sort of draw or controversial fashion or, you know, um, mit- some other mitigating circumstance, there could be reason for there to be a call for them to wrestle one another later in the year, say Dominion or something like that. So I think it's too early to call, but I'm not going to write off the possibility that they end up in a year-long feud. Here's my thing. If I was a Naito fan, I would not want them to be in a year-long feud. Uh, this seems to be right now, and things could change, but the guy that they're going with for now seems to be Naito, or I'm sorry, Okada. And uh, I think Naito is going to come up on the losing end more often than not in most of these scenarios. I would maybe want him to, and this is probably what will happen, I'd want him to maybe lose here some sort of big dramatic fashion and that light a fire under him to get back to the title picture and by G1 season, you maybe heat him up. Maybe he wins the G1, or if not, you know, you know, gets, uh, you know, back in title contention by the time Wrestle Kingdom comes around. I'm not saying I think that will happen, but uh, I think we're going to hear the name uh, Kazushiko Okada on the lips of Naito a lot this year. I think that's going to be the guy he talks about. I think that's going to be his goal, and that's going to be the driving motivation and force behind his story in 2022. Yeah, I could definitely uh, see that happening with a lot of focus on kind of building up Naito while you have Okada being, you know, built as the the front runner and the champion uh, for the year. 
Uh, but overall, this uh, Golden Series, some of these bigger matches, um, I mean, minus the House of Torture, uh, I'm pretty excited for this stuff. I mean, we're getting a lot of singles matches with the juniors, with the the, the, the Flying Tiger and Bullet Club Shoot tag team feud. The, the big matchup with Sonata and Naito against the Mega Aces, uh, Tanahashi defending against Sonata. Those matches are always great. Uh, Kata Naito now, is always great. Now let's bring up some things that I'm not happy about. Evil, evil, and evil. You've got evil involved in the never open weight title feud with Tomohiro Ishii. Um, I was glad during the post-match comments where Ishii said that their match, he was like, the only way we can fight is if it's KO only. I was like, oh, fuck, they're going to end up in a KO-only match. That's awesome. And then Evil's like, lumberjack match. And then we, we're getting a lumberjack match. And I'm like, the last thing Evil and Ishii need are a bunch of bodies surrounding the ring. Like, right, that, more know? interference. <laughs> yeah, it's, so that sucks. And then they're like, oh, you like that? But wait, there's more. So we're also getting Evil involved in the never open weight six-man tag team title feud. But... Aside from that, he's also involved in the IWGB Heavyweight Tag Team feud. So you got House of Torture slash Evil three times over. I'm kind of disgusted by it. Other than that, everything else makes sense and looks pretty good on paper. Uh, we'll see how it all you know plays out, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not happy about all the evil. Yeah, t- too much evil for this. Uh, also, I, I said this off the show, and uh, now that I'm reminded of it, I need to make a public apology. There was a time where I used to bury evil and he was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and I would do almost any, I would do almost anything to just like have the evil who used to bring toy props to the ring and, you know, laser pointers on his fingers and pretend that he was the rock in his promos. I mean, my God, I would do almost anything to get that guy back. If it meant I never had to sit through another one of these house of torture bullshits, like fuck. <laughs> Yeah, that those are definitely going to be uh, the rough points uh, throughout this tour. Anytime those guys are on here, but overall, I'm looking forward to a lot of stuff on this tour. So it, it should be a good way to kick off uh, the year for New Japan here. So uh, now we'll move on into the news. Have a few news items here, and then we have a ton of questions uh, from this weekend from a couple weeks ago that got bumped this week. Uh, so first news item: We're gonna bump them again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, first news item uh, we mentioned earlier after the uh, no DQ match at Wrestle Kingdom, Kenta uh, he had a lot of injuries, sustained a dislocated left hip, broken nose, and tendon damage in his finger and severe lacerations. That that's why he was off of uh, night three. And so yeah, that that was a, a brutal uh, no DQ match there. So Kenta definitely uh, feeling the pain from that matchup. Then uh, New Japan Strong is coming to WrestleCon for WrestleMania weekend. Uh, the company announced that they'll be returning to Dallas, Texas, April 1st. A taping of New Japan Strong being held at 5 p.m. on April 1st at the Fairmount Hotel with meet and greets also being planned. More details will be announced in the future. Uh, RevPro is returning to York Hall on January 28th. Will Ospreay versus Michael Oku for the British Heavyweight title is the main event. Then there'll be Francisco Akira uh, from All Japan versus Gabriel Kidd. And then um, Yota Suji versus Shota Umino will be also uh, be happening on that show. Then uh, for Impact, they are coming to Fort Lauderdale for tapings January 21st and 22nd and 
Switchblade Jay White will be a part of those tapings. And then last thing here, we have the recent death of Strong Kobayashi. Josh, go ahead and uh, educate us on Strong Kobayashi. Yeah, um, sorry about some of the feedback there. Just uh, growing pains with uh, the new uh, setup here. Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, we're very saddened uh, to hear about the death of Strong Kobayashi. Um, you know, I want to keep it brief, but uh, it, it's hard to kind of understate the impact that he had on the world of Japanese pro wrestling and his um, impact and importance in the formative years of New Japan pro wrestling as well. Um, um, Strong Kobayashi uh, was one of the three biggest uh, Japanese pro wrestling stars in the 70s. Um, he was the ace of the IWE promotion, which was one of the main competitors of uh, JWA, which was the original major uh, Japanese pro wrestling company, Ricky Dozen, set up in the 50s. Uh, it's the same company that New Japan and All Japan split off of back in 1972. And IWE was their biggest and most uh, successful competitor, kind of the outlaw promotion. They were not affiliated with, say, like the NWA, the same way JWA and Baba and Anoki's promotions were. Um, he was the ace of the company um, towards the latter stages of that company's existence. Um, made a big name for himself uh, in the AWA, which was kind of the uh, foreign company that IWE was associated with. Uh, he won the IWA, which was the world title of IWE. He won their world title multiple times and also is credited as being one of the first people to ever on tape slam Andre the Giant. Um, he also won their their version of the World League slash G1 slash, you know, basically their round-robin tournament. He won that tournament. Um, the most famous, there was a very famous one that he won, I believe is 1971, 72, um, and he defeated Andre the Giant in the finals of that tournament, which also included, like, Carl Gotch and, um, several other, or Billy Robinson, some other uh, pretty famous uh, wrestlers were involved in that tournament. But what ended up happening is um, Strong Kobayashi had a falling out with management, with IWE, wanted to leave. He ended up walking from the company. And at the time, he was their ace, uh, the top drawing act on primetime television. You know, he was one of the top three guys in Perezu along with Baba and Inoki. And he was you know, the champion, and he left with the title. Um, you know, I won't go too much into the politics, but ultimately he wound up being able to jump to New Japan in 1974. And that, that basically created a scenario where they were able to promote Antonio Inoki, the reigning NWF world champion, um, against strong Kobayashi, the, the still perceived IWA world champion, all domestic uh, superstar talent, showdown, um, ace versus ace. And we're talking about Japanese wrestling in an era where domestic stars at the top did not wrestle one another. Uh, the last time that happened was like in the 50s with Ricky Dozen. And uh, it, you know, Japanese wrestling was all centered around domestic stars fighting foreign heels at the top of cards. 
So there hadn't really been a drawing card where two top major domestic stars wrestled one another. And, and in this case, you've got the two world champions of two, you know, uh, major companies, guys that are on primetime national television network, you know, wrestling going head to head two two aces and two world champions. And, uh, they, they wrestled in the Summa hall in 1974 and, uh, sold out the, the place they set like a, a tent or like a gate record at the time, uh, huge financial success. I believe I've heard the figure of 20 million people in Japan watching that match. Um, this match was made available to watch for free on new Japan world. So if you're interested in checking it out, um, it is from 1974. I know it's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. Um, to me, I will say this. I think the match is good. It's not good by like our standards today, but it is my New Japan match of the year for the year of 1974. Um, and it does involve a major gusher from Antonio Noki. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of the forerunner to, to, to the matches with Takata Muto, Takata Hashimoto, where you had two world champions from rival companies going head to head. It, it did huge, huge business. After that, um, Kobayashi stayed on with the company and became like one of the top three pillars of the company, along with Antonio Noki and Seiki, uh, Seiki Sakaguchi, or Seiji Sakaguchi. Um, he kind of uh, facilitated that number three spot. He left wrestling in 1984 and then ended up being a major uh um, kind of acting star on different various television shows and movies, sort of playing like monster characters. He, he had like sort of an oafish, outlandish uh, kind of look to him. And for years and years, he was on different television shows, playing, you know, working as an actor. But uh, the main thing is that Kobayashi was, you know, pe people have kind of forgotten about him. But in the 70s, he was the top three guy in, in the whole entire country. And he had one of the biggest matches in the history of Purorezu, even though it's kind of forgotten. And he was like a top three pillar guy for the company before Fujinami and Ricky Choshu sort of rose to prominence. And, uh, you know, uh, we are saddened by his death, 81 years old. Uh, my recommendation, if you've never seen that match, it's worth checking out just for the historical uh, perspective, but it is a good match. Um, you know, it's not going to blow you away by our standard, but the, the mat wrestling, very, very good, very, very heated. It gets very, very violent. And uh, they do some stuff that, you know, you, you weren't seeing very regularly in 1974. So, Yeah, very, very saddened for his loss. Definitely want to check out that, that matchup that they have up there for free. And, yeah, our thoughts and uh, prayers with his family. There is a rematch that's also from, like, December of that year that's also available. Um I, I liked that match, too. It's not as good. It also wasn't received as well. It's not as hot. So if, you, if there's one match you'd want to check out, I would recommend you check out the first match with him and Inoki, which was a big deal. Gotcha. Uh, just got some breaking news here, some updates. The, the final uh, four matches for the New Beginning in USA uh, 2022 tour happening on New Japan Strong. So we do have confirmed the strong openweight championship match, Filthy Tom Mahler, will defend against Taylor Rust. We're going to have uh, Fred Rosser versus Gabriel Kidd. That should be a, a hard-hitting one there. 
Uh, Cody Chun making his strong debut will be taking on Higaleo. And then Carl Fredericks will be taking on Ethan HD, who will be making his strong debut as well. So uh, now nice. uh, let's move on to uh, some of these questions here. Uh, so first from uh, Reddit user Lobster Brisket, what title push would you, would you like to see most in 2022? Here are my picks. Zack Sabre Jr. as U.S. champ. Kyle O'Connor as never six-man champs. Chris Dickinson as strong openweight champion. Uh, those are great picks. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily specific title pushes I'd want to see. I'm thinking more along the lines of like who I want to see elevated. I think uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Dangerous Techers, but just in general, I kind of want to see Zack Saber Jr. Uh, I, I kind of want to fucking see him like be in the main event. Maybe I would love if he won the world title at some point, personally. Yeah, I think I would love for Saber to at least, at least challenge. But yeah, him being the world champ, I think definitely like he's proven that he can go in the main events, and he would be great. Um, as far as like somebody that somebody else that I would want as a, a title holder this year, uh, I think Jeff Cobb would be uh, either great as you know, let's save the never title, get the never title on Cobb, or maybe have him as the U.S. champ. I think could be great for him this year. I agree. Uh, next question from Razor War Botter. Upon return, how would you book Ibushi? Ooh, I'm not big on the whole uh, future booking thing. I don't even know when he's coming back or how he's going to be returning. Um, and I don't know what kind of condition. There's just too many outside variables. I mean, what you know, is he, is he good to go or is his body breaking down? You know, where's he at mentally, physically? That's kind of difficult for me to uh, assess. I, I like the question, but I, I don't feel confident enough to even answer it, to be honest with you. For me, I thought about two scenarios. Uh, one, again, I'll say I don't know if he's even cleared, but this is what I would do. Either one, he walks out after uh, Okada Naito, and we get our Okada Abushi rematch, and it's for the title. Or you have him be one of the guys in New Japan Cup. He wins New Japan Cup to get his rematch of Okada. Yeah, I mean, both of those sound good to me. Uh, I hope that he is able and healthy enough to do those things. So that's good. Uh, next question from XX Gizmo LDTXX. What role do you see Jay White having in New Japan proper, if any, for the first half of 2022? Uh, my best guess right now um, is simply a participant in the New Japan Cup. I couldn't really speculate beyond that. I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, the one thing is, like, I, he has a situation ongoing with obtaining his green card and that's kind of uh you know um putting a, a kibosh on him getting to japan but the other thing too and it's the one thing you have to throw out there the asterisk with house of torture like more and more by the day they don't feel like they're part of bull club in any sense of the the term and so it's like is there going to be like a standoff between Jay White and Evil, or are we just going to come to terms slowly by just accepting that like House of Torture is a totally separate thing from Bullet Club? Right. And something else that I just thought about, I thought about. Remember ELP's comments like Jay, if you don't show up to a Wrestle Kingdom, and he kind of dropped the mic. I wonder if there's going to be any like playoff with that at some point. 
Oh, you mean with uh, ELP? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of interesting. Uh, he was making those comments. It didn't seem to lead anywhere. Right. I mean, they both will be on the New Beginning in USA tour, so maybe there's some follow-up there, but... Right. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, New Japan Cup is probably the best bet because it's kind of hard to just kind of throw him back in the mix like in the Golden Series or after that. I think, yeah, New Japan Cup would probably be the best place if everything and, settled. And if, and if he has, like, personal things going on, he just might not be able to be part of the company right now uh, here, you know, in, in Japan. Right. Uh, they also ask, any way... Any way too early New Japan Cup predictions? Young boy nailed the Will Osprey pick on your second review last year. Haha. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, mainly because there was there was a particular vibe and feeling about the trajectory of certain guys and how I feel the company likes to book things and you know what I mean, like the ghettoisms and some of that stuff has been disrupted. Plus, it's the 50th year. I don't know what to really expect. Um, I know that these are not like, you know, I'm not giving you guys hot fire takes right now. You're asking me questions that are pretty tough. Uh, I don't have a particular individual in mind for for the uh, New Japan Cup just yet. Uh, It's hard for me to to think, you know. I don't know. Uh, Do you have anyone in particular, Jeremy? Well, one, like I mentioned earlier, Kota Bushi. But again, that, that all depends on if he's healthy and will even be in New Japan Cup. But I think that's a very likely, especially for the 50th year, it's a, a pretty big winner to set up a big match with Okada. Um, I think Jeff Cobb would be an, another great name to throw out there. You know, Cobb's been elevated over the last uh, year or so. And I think that'd be a great way to get him into another uh, match with Okada. Yeah, the thing is, I don't think Okada's dropping this belt. Anytime soon. So I, I think Okada's going to hold the belt all year. So when I picked Will Ospreay, I was like, he's either going to be like in contention for the title or, he, or he's going to win it one or the other. Um, and now I'm like, fuck, like whoever, whoever wins this is pretty much a no hoper. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's like, do they el- try to elevate someone like you mentioned, like a Jeff Cobb? Someone who's never won the tournament, give them the big, big push just to like lose in the end. Or do you go with a proven commodity, like you mentioned, like a Kota Abushi? Um, let me just say this this is not my pick. So don't hold me to this yet. But there's a chance it's Sonata. Mm. He's never won it. He's come close so many times. He's got a long history. Didn't, with, he, didn't uh, he win the New Japan Cup in 2019? No. When I thought he wanted one to challenge Okada one year. I thought that him and Okada were in the finals together and Okada beat him. Okay. Am I wrong on that? So how did cause didn't he have a title match with Okada at one point where he how did he get that title match? You know how they be doing, they just give him title <laughs> matches. I'll look, um, but I don't think so. I think he. I think the furthest he's gone is to the finals against Okada, and Okada beat him for the tournament. Gotcha. I guess I'm remembering it wrong. Well, I mean, I'm gonna look for you real quick just so that I don't, you know. We've been doing this almost five years now. So, <laughs> New Japan Cup. What was it? You said 2019. Oh yeah. So yeah, Okada. Yeah, Okada pinned him in the finals. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not crazy. 
why 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 you call me out like in front of everybody <laughs> the whole world right now you know what yeah, it was? It, see, he still got a title match after that, regardless. I think that's what. Yeah, he still he still got the title. Well, yeah, he still got the title match later on after Okada beat Jay White for the title. Yeah, that's what I was confused about. Yeah, right, and that's what I'm saying. He's come very close to winning the New Japan Cup many times. Like every year, he's got you know the narratives kind of changed now, but like for years, he was getting so close, more and more you know close, and then. He's never won it. And I'm like, you know, if there was a guy you were going to sacrifice to the to the Wolves, it could be Sonata. You could reheat him and just have him win that, that tournament. And he's another guy that, like, they love to, like, challenge Okada for the belt for whatever reason. You know what I mean? Like, it just makes a lot of sense to me that it could be him. Yeah. One other name I'll throw out there. Ugh, Shingo. Evil? No, Shingo Takagi. He was in the finals last year, came very close to winning it all and beating Osprey. You can have him get to the finals again, win. You can run him back. Shingo Okada, great match from Wrestle Kingdom. Um, you could do a draw. You could do something else uh, if you don't want to beat him directly. But I think that could be another great option for another big matchup. Fuck yeah. it. I'm doing it. He failed up. He dropped the Never title so he could challenge for the IWGB title. Tomohiro Ishii, <laughs> come on down. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, let's move on to uh, the next question here. Uh, let's commission 7252. Did you, did you guys watch Taichi versus Doki yet? If so, how much emotion did you two feel, felt for Doki, seeing that you two are mega fanboys for the GOAT Doki? I haven't had a chance to watch the matchup yet, but Josh, I know you have. Tell us about Taichi versus Doki. Well, first off, I'd like to say um, we're not doing a full review of Taichi, Taka Taichi Mania, um, it seems, but you know, that show was way more impactful to the overall kayfabe of New Japan than Wrestle Kingdom Night 3 was. Like, it's, I think a lot of what happened on that show was pretty canon. A um, couple things with the show, just very briefly. I don't know why, but they had two full production idol performances in the middle of the show. Uh, so that was kind of interesting and unique. Um, I didn't watch the undercard, but I did watch the top three matches that all involved the New Japan talent. And um, they had Cannon, who is the reigning JTO, or king of JTO, so the top uh, champion in their company. He teamed up with another gentleman. I forget his name. I think it was... Uh, it doesn't matter. I don't know his name. The one thing I did note about him, Six foot seven Japanese wrestler. I've never, I, I mean, very, I can't think of too many Japanese uh, wrestlers or even just humans that are that tall. And that was one of the things that they mentioned about him. Uh, both guys have only been in the industry a couple of years. They tag team together against uh, Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. Got schooled pretty hard, got tapped out. Here's one thing, Jeremy. Did you know that most of the matches in JTO are submission only? I did not realize that, but I guess it makes sense of it being called just tap out. Yeah, it's called Just Tap Out. So most of the matches are literally, like, submission-only matches. I had no idea. That so guy, anyways... That guy's name is uh, Ren Ayabe. Yeah, Ayabe. Both guys were good. Ayabe's a lot more green. Cannon's, you know, got some more experience. Um, Zack Sabre put him... I don't know the name of that move, but you know that move where he uh, he's in the octopus and then he grabs both arms and then pull, wrenches back and then steps on the guy's head? Yeah. Yeah, he did that to him and fucked him up and, like, made him tap out. So that was a pretty fun match. Uh, the 
uh, semi-main event was Desperado against uh, Taka Michinoku. If you haven't, uh, I'd recommend checking that match out. Uh, this was not Taka that you're used to seeing in New Japan. This is not old man, old legend, pin eater Taka Michinoku. This is badass motherfucker Taka from the 90s going out there doing his Yave style grappling and his hard hitting, you know, grimy, you know, Japanese like shindy wrestling style against Desperado. And he really like took it to task against Despy. Had a good match. A lot of both of them were working each other's opposing legs, but they did it in a pretty fun and entertaining way. And uh, Taka gave Despy a lot to handle, but ultimately Desperado hit him with a close fist punch. Pinche Loco, one, two, three, got him out of there, but he he gave him all he could handle. Like, Taka looked fantastic in that match. And then um, the main event was Taichi versus Doki. And the interesting thing with this match, um, going back to a JTO tag team match two years ago, Taichi and Taka teamed against Desperado and Doki. And Doki had just gotten the company in the summer of 2019. He hadn't been in the company long. And obviously, this was all uh, Suzuki Goon showdown. And Doki was trying to prove himself to Taichi. He was super aggressive. It was kind of like those um, those matches that we've seen in the past where the Young Lions try to uh, act super, super aggressive and come for like an Ishii or like a Suzuki. Yeah. Kind of like that. But like Taichi, like no soul all his shit, didn't give him any respect, was, you know, taunting him, beating the fuck out of him and like ultimately just like squashed him. And Doki was like, even after the match, Doki was still trying to fight Taichi and like get respect from him and he couldn't get any. So it was really interesting when I saw that this was going to be the main event of Takataichi Mania 3. And dude, let me tell you guys something. One of the best matches of the year already. <laughs> it's currently sitting... It's um, Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's as good as the main event of Wrestle Kingdom Night 2, okay? But it is currently, with a lot of votes already, sitting at 9.22 on Cage Match, and it's like just a fraction of a score higher than Okada Osprey. Okay, I don't think it's as good as Okada Osprey, but um, I'm easy four and a half on this match. And after after uh, listening to the post match commentary uh, between between him and Taichi, I might even be go. I might even go four and three quarters on this. Wow, was, <laughs> bro, it was so fun, dude. This was the match of Doki's life. And Taichi was phenomenal. And um, it does start off a little slow. So, like, you know, and how much you like this will depend on how much you're into Doki. Like, if you don't like Doki and Taichi that much, you might not like it as much as me because there's a lot of emotionalism um, built into the match. But, like, they kind of continue the story of that match from two years ago where Doki's trying to get respect from Taichi. And, like, Taichi's just, like, brushing him off, brushing him off. But then eventually, like, Doki turns up. And he gets Taichi's attention and he drops Taichi. And I'm like, holy fuck. There's 1.2 where Doki tried to do a, uh, a side moonsault to the outside. And they, the, the barricade was just much too close and he couldn't turn all the way over. And he went straight down on his head. I thought he was going to um, Hayabusa himself. No lie. I thought he was going to die. Um, but somehow he, he got his hands down the post and came over. But like he was nowhere near moonsaulting Taichi. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
He also was seconded by Mima Shimoda, which um, at the end, you know, at the end of this, I'll tell you guys why that's significant. But like she, dude, she was pounding the mat the whole match and crying. And um, it, the match went over 30 minutes. Um, and they just had so many, so many, so many near falls. And then there's a point where they started doing striking exchanges and like Doki turned the fuck up. And then he, he, he ran over to the corner and he pointed at um, Milano Collection AT. And Milano Collection AT started crying and like he started like wiping the tears from his eyes. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know what's going on, but this is incredible. <laughs> and then, um, and then uh, eventually it got to the point where like where you typically would see a heavyweight beat a junior. And Tai Chi got Doki up for the last ride and dropped him. And Tai Chi. And, and I was like, oh, that's it. And Doki kicked out. And Milano Collection 18 climbed over the broadcast table. And, like, he's crying, bro. Like, for real crying. And he gets on the, like, apron. Not on the apron, but he's on that. You know, he's standing at the apron. And he's pounding the mat with everything he has. And he's, like, cheering, like, Tai Chi on. And then, like, uh, Mima Shimoda's doing the same thing. And she's crying. And Doki's crying. And Miho Abe's crying. And I'm like... I don't know why everyone's crying, but like, <laughs> I was like, I want Doki to win so bad right now. <laughs> and uh, Doki tried everything. He hit every single one of his big moves, but like at the end of it, he couldn't get, uh, Tai Chi went for the Black Mephisto. He got out of the Black Mephisto and he almost, bro, he almost beat Tai Chi. Like it was so close, but ultimately Tai Chi hits him with the Black Mephisto just over 30 minutes, gets him out of there. Milano Collection AT rushes in. So does Mima Shimoda. So does Miho Abe. They're all icing Tai Chi down. Or, I'm sorry, Doki. Doki is bawling his eyes out. Tai Chi started crying a little bit. He had to wipe away tears. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And, like, at the end of it, Tai Chi cut this really awesome promo. If you want to um, – the show, you have to pay for the show. Uh, it was a pay-per-view. But the post-match comments are free on New Japan World. And Tai Chi starts talking about how – I didn't know the full extent of their history, but he said that when Doki was a kid and he wanted to be a wrestler, somehow he got in contact with Milano Collection AT and just out of high school took all the money he had and Milano sent him to Mexico to go train with Tai Chi, who was on excursion in Mexico at the time. Mm. And so like the first guy that Doki ever had contact with in Mexico that he like started working with and training was Tai Chi. And um, that they like spent a long time traveling together, training together that he said like everything that Doki, like in his formative years that he learned Tai Chi gave to him. And then uh, he talked about like how, when he lost a hair versus hair match in arena, Mexico to Maximo, that Doki was like the only person in the stands crying. And that like, you know, like they were, they had like a big brother, little brother, like relationship that I never knew about. And then he talked about like, after he like left to go back to Japan Doki like stayed in Mexico and like was poor and wrestling on like the dirt floors and was getting like abused in the like dojo by like Liger and uh and we're not talking about the New Japan dojo we're just talking about like in Mexico with the for- you know with the Japanese foreigners but like he said Yoshihashi and Liger like helped train him and he was like but the bottom at the end of the day he said Doki was in Mexico for 10 years watching all these New Japan guys go to Mexico on excursion for like a year or two, get all these arena Mexico spots and then come back to new Japan with all this acclaim. 
and he never went through like the real, you know, uh, New Japan system. And he had to gut it out and, and basically fend for himself on the indie circuit for 10 years with nobody else like advocating for him, nobody fighting for him, no one paying for him, no one promoting him. And then he was like, and then to for that for that same guy to like make it to Japan, make it to New Japan, be a super juniors guy, be a guy who can win in the super juniors, be a guy that can main event Cork and Hall, and like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then once I heard that context, I was like, no, no fucking like wonder why this match meant so much. Like this guy's never headlined Cork and before. Like, and to do it against. Uh, you know, and as a biggest, a big time established star like Tai Chi, plus all the history they have be- between them, and then like Mima Shimoda, you know, her connection with the Japanese wrestlers in Mexico, and she's crying. And I've never seen the Lano Collection AT go hard like that, bro. This is like, there's no way this is getting knocked off Excursion Match of the Year. And listen to me, if you have not seen it, you gotta find a way to watch it, whatever that, what legally or illegally, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you gotta see this match. It is out of this world like bro i was emotional i didn't cry or anything but i was like holy fuck like this is really and the match itself is really good too but the story is incredible um i can't remember the last time i i was as hyped from the emotions of a match bro i'm all in on doki i know i've always been a doki guy but like that's it they need to strap this guy up he's got the most compelling story in new japan right now period dude sign me up that question talked about who we want for future champions yeah let's get doki as junior champ, the guy's been killing it. Now that I know more about his backstory, it's even more incredible. It's where he's at right now. And, dude, I, I would love for him to get rewarded with that with that junior championship. Yeah, bro. Like, and, bro, and, he, and, like, he was crying all the way to the, like, from the promo all the way to the backstage comments. He, he never stopped crying. I don't think it was kayfabe. Like, I think it, I don't think it was, I think it was a total shoot. Like, this, and it was because he's, he even mentioned, he was like, dude, he's like, you know, you don't think about what you went through, but then when it's like brought to light and, and you're like having the flashbacks and you're realizing everything you sacrificed, he's like, I know wrestlers sacrifice a lot, but like, I really sacrificed a lot. And I was like, fuck, no wonder this guy doesn't want to go back. <laughs> Man, it's not going back. <laughs> Bro, that match, that match ruled. Like, that really, I mean, it's, I know it's going to get knocked down, but it's the number two highest rated match for 2022 right now. It's crazy. I'm definitely yeah. I got I got my way to watch it. I'm definitely gonna check it out uh, later this week. Whew. Also, the Takataichi Mania uh, show was really cool, really fun. I like that they're doing those, uh, especially with J, uh, JTO. Also, one other cool thing was um, Taka mentioned at the end of the show that going forward, they're never gonna do Takataichi Mania ever again. It's gonna be Taka Taichi Despi. Hmm. Yeah. Good stuff there. Yeah. Uh, let's commission this question. Did, did you guys hear about Chris Jericho saying that when it's good to travel once again, he wanted him and Omega to face a dream team of Tanahashi and Okada at Earth's Kingdom? He mentioned that they would sell out the dome and even headline the dome. Now it's not the time or place, but I've got concerns about Tanahashi and his ability to go. But way more than that, I've really got questions about Chris Jericho. I don't think Chris Personally, I don't think Chris Jericho right now can go at the New Japan level anymore. And I don't know if that's age, physical wear and tear, or the alcoholism. I don't know, or a combination of all those things. But, like, um, 
could that match like draw? Yes. Should they do it? I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think Jericho might be. I don't know if Jericho should come back to Japan. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I feel like Jericho's kind of washed at this point. I mean, we're kind of far away away from Alpha versus Omega. Like he's just not at that level anymore, and I don't know if he could ever get back at that level. Um, so again, it does sound intriguing on paper, but I feel like that would be Kenny and Okada doing all the work. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Viking Pain it says: So this new Okada title reign is going to end with a Shibata Okada title rematch, right? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, we just don't know what if Shibata could ever is ever going to have a full match where he could be striked again. I, I don't think they're going to do a title match with him and Okada where it's like half catch, half wrestling rules. So. I don't think when so. when someone kicks or punches or elbows Shabbat in the head, then give us a call. <laughs> right. Not that I'm saying that they should, but even just a working punch, period. Yeah. Next question, what's up with Jay White? Why was one of the biggest stars on NJPW in, not involved at Game 16 at all, which we kind of covered already. He's getting uh, his green card, so wasn't able to travel to Japan. Yeah, I didn't know those rules, but I looked it up. If you are If you've applied for a green card to the United States and you've already put in that application while it's processing um, and, and under review, you can't leave the country. Otherwise you forfeit your, uh, your application. So that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Sif gang. This isn't a question about NJPW, but more so you guys, how do you guys watch and take notes? Do you watch matches events one time through without pause or pause, rewind it as you go or is it you rewatch stuff to find little details, timestamps, and other notes? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, ideally, I watch the whole show the whole way through. Uh, it doesn't always happen, but when it doesn't happen, you can usually tell that uh, my insights are not as good. Most of the time, I try to sit the whole way through. Um, I don't take notes um at all um i do pause and rewind but it's more it's not so that i can do stuff for you guys it's more like holy fuck what was that and i rewind or if i'm like what happened there and so it's more for my own benefit you know benefit than you guys um i don't rewatch stuff to find the little details i got a pretty good memory so i just try to remember i do rely quite a bit though on reviews that are out there. And so if I watch something and I'm trying to remember something, I will go to 411 Mania or Voices of Wrestling or Cage Match and just look stuff over. But, um, you know, for the most part, I don't like, I haven't, I didn't do any of that for today's show. And I remember quite a bit about the matches. That's just me personally. Uh, I, I think Jeremy's a lot more detail oriented than I am. Uh, it depends. For like bigger shows, like, Wrestle Kingdom, like I didn't take any notes. Like, I I watch everything, like you know, watch everything straight uh, straight through. Um, for like big one off shows, I usually don't take notes because I feel like everything is pretty memorable and I can't remember anything. And if like you, if I need to remember something, I yeah, I have reviews pulled up on my phone. Uh, F4W, was the wrestling for a one? If I need to look up anything or look for a, a match finish. Now, what I have started doing for tournaments. When I want to keep track of like my star ratings and who like what matches were good on which night, 
I will take some notes for tournaments so I can kind of, especially when we're reviewing like five shows in one week. Uh, it's kind of hard to just kind of bounce between reviews. So sometimes I will take notes on that when we have like five shows. It's like, all right, I don't remember who beat who and like what were some of the kind of story elements from these matches. Those I'll, I'll take notes on. But for like the bigger, like one off, like if we're watching, you know, New Beginning in Osaka or whatever it is, Wrestle Kingdom, I'm not going to take like in depth notes. I can usually pretty remember. Pretty much remember everything that happened on the show. I remember the notes I was taking uh, during the early days of the show during World Tag League in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Chucky e. T. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like I was like writing down all these like notes, stuff I thought was like real. Oh, man, the stuff that's going on with uh, Sammy Callahan that might play out later on down the, down the line. <laughs> <laughs> got this weird kissing storyline going on. <laughs> I need to make note of it. <laughs> the, the one project that I did write probably my most notes ever was the final, the final countdown. countdown. I Because there wasn't a lot of match reviews on some of those older matches. So I watched. And some some of that I did have to like, pause and like go back a little bit. I took notes for like all like, the big spots and stuff that happened in all those finals that we reviewed. But here's the thing. And I don't know. You would have to tell me, Jeremy, because I don't, I can't speak for you, but it's my feeling I've got the better, like, kind of weird memory when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, definitely. You have a great memory. Well, sometimes I don't, I don't remember, like, names and, like, uh, I'll, 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 like, when I need something, I'll try to draw on it and I'll be drawing a blank, but, like, I don't take notes on any of these matches and I can pretty much remember a lot. It's especially if I like a match, like there's a few matches that I really liked. Like for instance, last year Naito and like Okada at New Beginning, I could like give you the, I could still give you the whole rundown of what happened in that match, or like Nagata and um and uh, Suzuki from New Japan Cup two years ago. Like I could I could give you the blow for blow on that match, and I've never taken notes on any of it. You know? Yeah. I mean, when it's good, it's good, and you remember it. <laughs> Uh, Grunty Doss asks, it's been two years since Jushin Thunder Liger retired. Have you missed him? Yeah, immensely. Every day I think about him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The crazy thing is, like, yes, obviously Liger was great, but, I mean, it's not like I've been sitting here thinking, man, I wish Liger was, like, going right now. I mean, yeah. Uh, For some of these super junior uh, tournaments, I've, I've thought that. Yeah, it'd be cool to have him, but it's not like I'm, like, Desperately thinking, man, we need Liger to jump out of the commentary right now. But, yeah, I mean, definitely peak Liger is definitely missed. Uh, the Dark Soldier asks, with uh, Kyle O'Reilly now all elite, should Chaos, because the best friends are members of Chaos, have expected his debut considering everyone expected Kyle appearing? Is this part of Okada's poor leadership skills and not warning his stablemates? Also, do you expect Red Dragon appearing on New Japan Strong soon? I really don't know what to think. I, I hate the idea that they've uh, kayfabe branded best friends as members of Chaos. Hopefully that's just one of those things. And I bet you it will be long term. Just, you know, it's just going to go away. The same way the Briscoes went away. The same way any number of guys that have been part of Chaos just like kind of get forgotten. That's the real mark of Okada's poor leadership. He doesn't even know who's ever in the group half the time anyways. Like, you know. If he probably run into Mikey Nichols tomorrow and be like, oh, man, you know, 
Um, we should talk to like, you know, Obari about getting you signed. He's like, I'm in your group. You <laughs> <laughs> Have been for years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. But uh, as far as really revolving the, the Red Dragon coming to New Japan strong, I mean, it's a possibility. We've been seeing more AEW talent working strong. We just had Eddie Kingston. We have Christopher Daniels coming up. Um, so we're seeing some more guys kind of work over. And so obviously there is a history there. So I wouldn't count it out. He also asked, also a few weeks ago, you guys buried Yo more than you bury all the frogs. How do you feel about that? Well, it's not frogs. It's fraud. And I did bury a fraud. And his name is Yo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hawaiian Punch BV. Have you checked out uh, Minoru Suzuki's match from the most recent Glate show? I would say it's your type of match. Uh, Tatsuya Izuki and Yo Azuka are the two young, promising shoot star wrestlers he faced. If NJPW and Glate keep up with their relationship, they they would be two guys that I would like to see in Best of Super Junior. Yeah, I did watch that match. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, it is available on youtube for free and um i'd say check it out big recommend uh it's not going to be in consideration for excursion match of the year i don't think it peaked quite high enough it was a little too short but fuck it was violent and really 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 good and i love tag team shoot style wrestling and uh that match ruled so if you guys haven't seen it definitely check it out there's a few suzuki um uh, glate and hard hit matches that have happened uh back this past month that I can't find that I'm looking for. So if anybody uh, has like his uh, match with Hikaru Sato, it's like 40 minutes from hard hit, hit your boy up. <laughs> I also asked with another batch of WWE releases, is there anyone that you would like to see compete in New Japan? I was thinking that Hideki Suzuki would be an interesting pickup. He's competed almost everywhere in Japan except New Japan. Him teaming with Minoru Suzuki with both being students of two catch wrestling legends, would be cool. Him teaming with Gabe Kidd, given that both are under that the Billy Robinson learning tree, would also be good. I like Hideki Suzuki a lot. I don't know if he would fit into New Japan. I think there's a uh, quite a few reasons he's never been part of that system. Um, but I'd be fine with it. Honestly, I don't know who got released from WWE, and I don't really... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the reasons I'm thinking about from this last batch were all the producers, Road Dog, and all, a lot of the writers, Rajan Singh, a lot of those guys. So didn't Samoa Joe get cut? Oh yeah, Samoa Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you guys can bring over some if if Joe can work, you can bring Joe over. That's cool. Yeah, that'd be cool to have Joe do some stuff. I don't want to see the Road Dog though. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could have, you could have a uh, Riddle become the GM of Strong. We don't need GMs. <laughs> Uh, also asked, if or when Shinsuke Nakamura ever makes his return to NJPW, do you think they'll have him walk out with the IC title and challenge a champion, and he'll threaten to split the IWG World Heavyweight Championship into two belts? Yeah, that's a that's some fucking um, you know, fantasy booking shit right there. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I think the IC is, is done for good, and they don't need to convolute the title picture anymore by trying to do something with putting the titles up. I wasn't even talking about that. Nakamura ever showing up in Japan again. That's that's fantasy. This never happened. 
man. This man has the IC belt that he wants. So WWE. Yeah. <laughs> He's already the intercontinental, the real intercontinental champion. <laughs> Uh, with Kyle O'Reilly debuting on AEW, is a dream to get him back for a Best of Super Junior Tour. O'Reilly versus Kamatashi has happened before, but a O'Reilly versus Hiromu matchup needs to happen. That man's a heavyweight, son. <laughs> he's looking he, kind of he is. He's got He's filled out on his frame. He's not a junior anymore. Uh, if he came back, he needs to be fighting in you know the heavyweight division. Yeah, but I mean, I would be down definitely for O'Reilly coming back in in Japan and and doing some stuff. That'd be great to have uh, Kyle O'Reilly back. He could still wrestle Hiromu in an open weight match too, and under you know however that needs you know you know how I feel about Kyle. So yeah, you remember that one time where I was the only guy in the crowd cheering? Were you there that night in NXT where I like was the only guy cheering for Kyle as a heel? Uh, I can't remember. I might have been. I. Oh yeah, I don't know if you were there. There was one night we were at an NXT show, and uh, I was going so hard for Kyle Riley, and uh, <laughs> just so hard, and no one, like, like annoyingly, and no one else was because they were booing him. Because like, I don't know, I, I think it was still in the early days, like Undisputed Era, like hadn't taken off yet, and uh, or you know, you know how some of those like NXT like house show crowds are, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but I was like, I, it's just funny. I was just like, shake it off, Kyle. You got this. And then when he won, I was like, that's how we do it, baby. That's how we do it. And like, it was really funny. My favorite Kyle O'Reilly NXT Logger Loop story is when he kicked that fan in the face when he the fan ran to the ring in the middle of the match. Yeah, he kicked the fuck out of this dude's head. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Like, not even like it was it was a shoot, brother. Yeah. Uh, then the last question for this uh, user here says, with fans worried about the state of NJPW, at least it's not as bad as all Japan right now. People are hating on Dick Togo, but apparently most of the AJPW roster hates Tajiri. According to the rumors, three big wrestlers are leaving in Zeus, Koji, Iwamoto, and Nomura. Tajiri booked his friend Super Crazy as junior heavyweight champion, and now Triple Crown heavyweight champion Jake Lee has suffered a nasal fracture and a fracture in his left orbital. Uh, AJPW seems more cursed at the moment. With NJPW opening the real Forbidden Door in 2022, could you see them working with All Japan Pro Wrestling? Hypothetically, who would you like to see Gato send over to AJPW for a fresh restart? I think Hiroki Goto would be a good fit. He suffered a couple of bad singles losses this year. If he came back from a couple of tours, he can come back to the G1 a little stronger. Just a little stronger. Not revitalized and ready to win the IWGP world title. Just, you know, a little stronger. Uh, That's just... No, no one ever thinks like that. Goto should come back and like <laughs> win the shit. <laughs> Yo, Goto's like always the one suggested. Like he needs to go to all Japan. He needs to go to Noah. He needs and, to go and, away, and then when he comes back, he'll be a little bit better. <laughs> Yo, th- this man already <laughs> left. He went to the LA dojo. He he trained with Shibata. Got in the best shape of his life, and he couldn't get the job done. Bro, he. There was a tweet the other day or today about like Dolph Ziggler being like a true pillar of WWE and like the guys in our thread were like, bro, it's not 2011. (laughs) You know, that's how it is with Goto. But, you know, uh, some of these questions are a little bit older. I don't think people realize probably that Goto like is now a reigning IWGB heavyweight tag team champion and all that shit. So um, other than that, I don't know. I, I've heard about that All Japan stuff. Obviously, I don't watch the product. I couldn't tell you who should go over there. They are These two companies will be working together on the Cork and Hall show, so you know, 
Um, that's about it. All right, last set of questions here from Dom Homie 101. First thoughts on the whole situation of it being a shoot or work when it comes to uh, Shibata versus Ren Narita. Also thoughts on Dave Meltzer's talk of Shibata's medical journey and what will be next for Shibata. <laughs> All right, so a couple things. Um, Wrestling Observer, uh, they reported that Shibata calling the audible about the match with Red Reed at Wrestle Kingdom was a real thing that he actually did where he really went into business for himself and, uh, you know, actually decided to change the rules on the fly and nobody in the company knew about it. And ultimately he's not going to get punished for it, but that's kind of the reality of the situation. Conversely, Voices of Wrestling have spoken to members of the company who outright denied that laughed about it and said that it was a known and planned thing and that Melter's getting worked. My opinion, this is just my opinion. The only group that I know of that gets stuff right when it comes to what's going on in Japan is Jcast as a news source. And they haven't even done one any any news in a long time so i don't know i'm not saying they don't have sources but i'm just saying like either they're choosing not to do that or i don't know if they're still talking to the same people they always used to talk to who know i don't know who those people are you know but when it comes to like voices of wrestling and and i love those guys and when it comes to dave and i respect dave i think there's a very just good chance that they think they're getting good information from sources and they're just all getting worked most of the time um, um, I I feel like the voice. Se- voice I think wrestling. they're wrong. They seem to be wrong a lot of the time. Voice of wrestling. Yeah, they sometimes have some semblance of the truth, but they also have wildly wrong information. And I don't think that they're. I mean, I can tell you who, like, you know, people believe their sources are. I don't know, but like, I think that they're doing good work in the sense that, like. They're reporting what they're being told, but I don't think that they're, you know, I don't think that anyone in the States really has good sources because it's, it's in Japan and we're not talking to domestic Japanese talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, to me, I've, I've it's a lot of speculation. Yeah. I've noticed the VOW has been a little bit more accurate than wrestling observer. I do feel like obviously with the elite gone, Dave has been getting worked a lot when it comes to his new Japan reporting he right. This is a shoot. Uh, he reported that Jeff Cobb um, knee is really injured and he has to get an MRI when it's like, all right, Cobb is set for the Golden Series. That was a whole story. If you watch the Road 2, Naito attacked the knee, the whole Road 2 show, and that was the whole focal point of the story of their match. Uh, said the same thing about Okada's back last year. Right. So when it comes to... Observer reported New Japan stuff. They definitely are getting worked and are, are getting things wrong. Well, the thing with Voices of Wrestling is like they tend to have some stuff that's accurate and then other stuff that seems to be like either embellished or maybe misunderstood or, you know, and it, I, considering who I think their source is, I think it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I think it makes sense a lot of the time. But uh, I, I, I just, I don't really trust most like, uh, North American news sources when it comes to this stuff anyways. Ultimately, I don't know. I don't know if Shibata did that or not. Um, the only thing I will say, let's say he did do it. If I'm management 
and I didn't want this guy to do this, and then he went and did it anyways. I might not punish him, but it would make me very questionable as to whether or not I could trust and use this individual again. For that reason, I feel mostly confident it probably was a planned stunt all along. But um, I don't know. All the like press conferences where he talked so much about the catch wrestling like we talked about last week, does give me reason to think like why the fuck did they go into so much detail about the rules and you know future like potential leagues and all that stuff if they weren't gonna go that way. So who knows? I'm gonna just chalk this up to I don't really fucking know. And honestly I don't really care. Yeah. I mean with Shibata stuff, a lot of the angles have been we know it's been kept close to the vest. Usually it's only like Gato and a handful full of people involved in the angle know what's happening. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was them, Gato and Shibata working everybody into this whole thing, but who knows? Like I said, I don't know, but I'm just happy Shibata had the match, and it was good. The other thing, too, Dave has talked about Shibata's medical journey, and, uh, you know, on this show, I've talked to you guys and mentioned many times that Shibata had a subdermal hematoma and that there are two major types of procedures that are usually done for that type of uh, surgery. One of them involves literally detaching the skull so that they can uh, alleviate the pressure and, and uh, you know, do surgery. And it's my understanding that that's what happened to Shibata after, back in 2017. For some reason, and I don't know why, bro, Dave Meltzer has said in print and in audio several times that they removed Shibata's brain. Um, <laughs> I, bro, I got to assume... That what he means when he says that is that he's just, he's meaning what I'm saying that they removed either his full skull or a part of his skull and then reattached it. But he's because you know how Dave is with the way he writes. Like anyone that like reads Observer knows what I'm talking about. But like he has put in a print many times that his brain was removed, and I'm like, my guy, you can't live. <laughs> Like you can't remove a brain and like reattach it. Like it doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what the fuck about that, but you know, I, I have not been shy on the show about Shibata's medical journey and how that reflects on his potential to wrestle again. And I think that that, this is why I think that the full rules wrestling match they did was kind of a farce in a certain sense, because he's never going to be allowed to take strikes to the head. Right. Because they removed his skull. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I mean, like, I, I've said this so many times on the show. I don't know how many more times to, like, say it. It seems like no one is getting this, but, like, they detached his skull, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty serious. It's not like, a, it you know, it wasn't like a broken neck surgery or. Right. He just, he just had, like, some concussions. Like, no, they removed this man's skull from his head. Right, and like he wasn't supposed to walk again, much less wrestle. He was supposed to like potentially maybe have to like wear, you know, he had paralysis, and like he was supposed to wear headgear the rest of his life. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, next question here: so Is it likely that we see Okada get another year run for the title, or does it does he lose it in the near future? He could hold it for the year. Uh, I think it would be kind of cool and refreshing if there was someone that beat him for the title before G1 this year. Mm. But uh, I, I don't know if that's where they're going. 
You know what I mean? But, yeah. um, I mean, who knows? Remains to be seen. I, I think it would be exciting if they did that, but we don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, I could easily see him walking into Wrestle Kingdom next year as still champion. Yeah, and the question is, is it likely? And I think it is likely. Uh, any early Wrestle Kingdom 17 main event predictions, he's going with uh, either Okada versus Shibata or Naito versus Shingo. I don't know yet. It's too early. Yeah, it, I don't. Fe- I don't feel anything yet. Yeah, I, I don't feel anything yet either. I mean, the one super protected match that hasn't happened yet is Naito versus Osprey, but I just don't know if the chips are going to fall in the right place for that match to happen. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I can't give a certain prediction right now. Uh, it says, how likely is it for us fans to see the return of the Japanese version of Don King? A.K.A. Noritaki Kanashi. Yeah. I don't know who that is. I'm wondering if he's kind of talking about the the ongoing scandal at Ryzen. Um, but I don't. I don't. That, I actually don't know who that is. It's the guy that was in Wrestle Kingdom a couple years ago. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't that guy like a comedian or something? Yeah. Oh, so this is an old question. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, thank God we didn't see him again. So. <laughs> Uh, will there ever be a Wrestle Kingdom-like event that takes place in the U.S.? They tried. They tried uh, to do Wrestle Dynasty Dynasty in Madison Square Garden. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Hopefully if, like, COVID subsides, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think at some point they would probably like to do Wrestle Dynasty again, but they have some rebuilding to do uh, in the U.S. to get back to that level. Uh, his last question here, any bold predictions for NJPW in the year 2022? For example, LJ betraying Shingo or some young lions returning to Japan to take part in the G1? I did hear someone uh, hypothesize if, like, what if Shota Umino came back and uh, challenged uh, Okada after his title win against Naito? Kind of set up another, like, Rainmaker shock type of thing. Yeah, that would be like a very interesting kind of full circle sort of thing. So I don't know. But uh, I don't really have any bold predictions. Like the thing is, we just got out of Wrestle Kingdom and we've just gotten this Takataichi produce show. We just got, you know, the night three of Wrestle Kingdom. We've got all these like co-promoted shows coming up. and Things just kind of feel very different this year. So it's kind of making it hard for me to like see the real trajectory of a lot of the talent, what the plans are. That's why I'm like reticent to give bold predictions or future bookings or predict. You know, I just don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you right now. I can't really think of again what thing. So so many things are changing. I feel like in previous years and probably why we get these questions, we were very good at kind of saying what was going to happen because of the kind of the pattern New Japan had and just kind of learning Gale's booking style and who he was pushing, who he wasn't pushing. Uh, but, I mean, right now, everything... That's like, exactly what I mean. Yeah, like, everything's in kind of a flux right now. We don't know what gaijins are coming in. We don't know when new gaijins can come in. We don't know when restrictions are going to open up. We don't know what the rest of the year is going to look like. Is Super Junior still going to be in December? Are they going to put it in May? Like, there's still like, there's so many questions that it's, it's kind of hard to be like, all right, this is going to be the bold prediction that I, I drop on. I got a bold prediction. All right. 
things open up and CMLL comes in mid year for a fantastic mania <laughs> tour, baby. <laughs> Bro, end the show with the fantastic mania music. I, fucking, I miss fantastic mania so much. Um, if you guys haven't seen the the work with uh, United Empire down at CMLL from November, uh, TJP against Voldor Jr. and the TJP Cobb match, big recommend on that shit too. You should check it out. Yeah, because it's weird. We're in the middle of like kind of a down week where there's like no New Japan except for that one produce show. Like, and I miss like Fantastic Mania. I've just been like watching like the excursion shit that like we missed since November. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, well, laughing real quick, recommended match of the week last week. I recommended AJ Styles versus Naito uh, from January 4th, 2015. Did you get a chance to rewatch that? Well, you know, I could have watched it on New Japan World, and I would have heard the, you know, Japanese commentary and probably been very hyped by that. But, no, I went online. I got my boys, JR and Matt Stryker, on the call. (laughs) (laughs) And, um... Very, you know, they, they talked about the long and lengthy history of the NWA title that AJ is a former champion of. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this match, um, you know, very interesting. I mean, you got AJ Styles coming off of his, uh, you know, initial run in New Japan as part of the Bullet Club and the Bullet Club leader. And then Stardust Genius Naito, who is not gone in Gobernable just yet. He's not gone to Mexico and, you know, lost his smile and all that stuff. And uh, it's kind of a crossroads match for both of them because they're not involved in the main event, but they're two of the top stars. And um, it was just very interesting for, to see both of these guys. I mean, you, you compare physically where both of them are in 2022 to where they were in 2015. I mean, it doesn't take a scientist to understand or realize that they, they're not going to be as good as they were when they were young. But, bro, it's a stark contrast. I mean... Sometimes I forget that Naito used to be able to go like this. I mean, he was, like, doing, you know, shotgun drop kicks off the, like, you know, apron to the floor, which was crazy. And AJ Styles was flying all over the place. And, I mean, they had a really um, good match. It's not truly a great match, but um, for the card, you know, um, it was getting there. I think if you gave these guys a little bit more time, they definitely could have had a classic uh, the really memorable thing is AJ Styles beat Tetsuya Naito with the uh, Styles Clash off the second rope, which was like a super Styles Clash, which he barely ever pulled out. Yeah. And, um, you know, even back then, though, Naito was still taping up the knees. He was still having knee, knee issues all the way back then. Right. That was a focal point of part of AJ's attack. It set up like the, the calf crusher and the, the attack on the knee. I felt like AJ kind of ate Naito up in this match a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. And I mean, that's. It makes sense though because that this ended up being like one of the last truly major platforms Naito had before he went off to Mexico and came back under the Ingobernable, uh, you know, attitude and persona. So this was kind of almost like a swan song for the Stardust Genius uh, persona. But uh, I like the match a lot. I'd probably go like three and three quarters. But I mean, considering the amount of time that they had in their placement on the card, that's not bad whatsoever. Um, and it's kind of a a novelty match at this point, considering what both of these guys have accomplished and where they've been since 2015, you know? Right. But um, big recommend. If you guys haven't seen it, I'd say check it out. I like the match. It's not that long. Sub-15 minutes. Very, very good. 
And, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those kind of interesting things that happen once upon a time. I know, I think they've also wrestled in the G1, and I think those matches might be better, but this is the more well-known match. Nice. You have a recommended match for us for this week. I do, and uh, this match is a big recommendation. Been wanting to recommend it for a while, looking for the right moment, and um, it involves one of the recently fired individuals from WWF, WWE, um, and it is an IWGP world title match as the challenger, Lord Steven Regal, challenges the reigning champion, Shinya Hashimoto, from August 16, 1995. This uh, occurred on the NJPW Battle Rush 1995 tour uh, from Hiroshima Sun Plaza, attending 6,500 people. Um, this is actually considered one of the, the very, very best matches of William Regal's career. Uh, it's currently sitting at 8.45 on cage match so uh it's kind of one of those things the only time um william regal ever challenged for the iwgb title um one of the few up to that point british uh challengers who ever got a shot at that gold and um very hard hitting because it's it is a hashimoto match and it's a regal match if you've never seen it you should go out of your way to check it out we'll uh you know give you guys the the lowdown on it next week Nice. Looking forward to checking that out. I haven't really seen much of uh, Regal's work in New Japan, so it should be fun. It's, uh, the other cool thing is he was undefeated in his run with New Japan going into this match. He was like 7, seven or 8-0 and oh, um, leading up to the Hashimoto match, so they'd been building him for a little bit. Nice. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Next week, we'll be back to preview the beginning of the New Year's Golden Series Tour. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.